Hey, Jeff. Hey, Eric. How are you? I'm pretty good. How are you? Doing well, thank you. Listen, before we get to a lot of talk mm -hmm. about bowling and mini golf and pizza. Sure, because, well, that makes it sound like we went to like a five-year-old's birthday party. Uh, we went to a 27-year-old's birthday party. So, you know, <laughs> pretty same, cool. Same thing. Pretty chill. Jeff, what are you watching on YouTube right now? I'm watching... Uh, Family Feud outtakes. Oh, okay. Yeah. So uh, in your off time, you're searching for... Uh, I like to... Everybody Steve thinks I'm a very... Steve like killing the end of the, the panel. Everybody thinks I'm a real lowbrow sort of person. <laughs> Here I am showing you what's you behind the, the curtain. You want the outtakes. Yeah. It's me laughing at people making jokes about breaking wind <laughs> and wieners. Yeah. yeah just the, the random yeah. misstatement yeah. by uh, Aunt, you know... Yeah. Whoever. Aunt Janine... <laughs> Who says, but, <laughs> right, or whatever. Right. Survey so, says, ah. Well, uh, you know what I'm watching? What are you watching? Well, besides, I'm watching. Besides car restoration videos. I am watching car restoration videos. Yeah. I love them. I'm watching our new Rick Ross interview. By the way, it's titled, The Best Rick Ross Interview of 2019. You act surprised. You're the one who wrote it. I did. And I'm proud of it because everybody in the comments is like, this is true. It is the best Rick Ross interview of 2019. Yeah. I'm glad they agree. You force them to agree, right? Yeah, but that's the game. Listen, yeah. I'm, I'm, I have no shame. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, I, I, I agree. I am for it. Are you in the comments section? I said... Who are these white boys? <laughs> They're better than I expected. Yeah. Uh, shout out to Johan. Shout out to Zach. We appreciate those guys for coming over here. A lot of people wanted visuals for the longest time and told us that. Guess what? YouTube.com slash it's the real. Actually, and maybe we should skip this whole, uh, you know, how we killed it this weekend. Oh, in uh, in various sports. Oh, fuck it. Let's talk about it. Okay. Okay. <laughs> only because only because I won. Yeah. Well, we went to a. A bowling alley in Sunset Park, Brooklyn, mm -hmm. and it is firmly stuck in the late 1970s. Sure. And as is the bartender there, by the way. Who you said is famous? Yeah, he was featured in the New York Times 10 years ago. I looked it up. For, what was he featured for? Just he, being well, there? Yeah, sort of. He's not only a bartender and mm -hmm. not only dresses up in a Las Vegas type um, tuxedo. Sure. Like red bow tie, suspenders, uh, ruffles. Every day know, is prom. Jacket off. When um, you're that guy. Oh, slicked back, white hair. Uh, beyond that, he's a philosopher. Isn't everybody? Yeah, okay, fine. Fair, fair. Every bartender is a philosopher. Or are you saying every human is a philosopher? Yeah, I mean, all it is is just saying your philosophy. <laughs> I guess so. I guess so, but this guy... Uh, That's sort of the same thing as being like, I'm a foodie, I eat food. Yeah, maybe he's paid for it. Maybe part of the shtick is like, he's the philosopher bartender. See, and, this is your philosophy. Yeah. Well, I'm just saying. Okay, so we went to this old There's nothing impressive alley. about being a philosopher. Did you feel like... A run-of-the-mill philosopher. You, okay, so you, you, were the, you were the best bowler in our lane. Yeah. Um, you were the second best bowler of the party. There were like 12 people. Yeah. Uh, you don't bowl that often. No. What's the key? Not bowling often. Oh, all right. No, I, I, uh, what's the key? Not form clearly. Well, no, no, no. But like, like so, how, how would you do, what animal would you say my form is like? Oh man. Um, uh, a sloth. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's real casual. Uh, the way that you like let the ball roll. It's not like, uh, throwing it like super hard. Uh -huh. This is more, uh, <laughs> You, you let it ride. It, you use a heavier bowling ball uh -huh. on purpose mm -hmm. 
and uh, it knocks pretty much all the pins down. Yeah. So sloth. A sloth. Yeah. That's probably the worst thing you could have said. Really? Yeah. The the worst thing I could have said. A sloth. I bowl like a sloth. Yes. Like a, I'm not saying that slots don't have any purpose or aren't skilled. Jesus, or, wait, what? <laughs> I, I'm trying to think of like what the worst part of this is. A slot. It's very casual and relaxed. Slow. Sure. Weak. No, I didn't say weak. <laughs> Pathetic. Look up what... what it, are those adjectives that are in Wikipedia for sloth? I mean, I'm sort of like a sloth. I take a lot of naps. All right. So, yeah, yeah not so offensive. Well, I don't bowl like a sloth. Yes, Jeff, I'm telling you. It's like a sloth. From my vantage point, mm-hmm. <laughs> by the uh, the scoreboard, mm-hmm. you look like a sloth who bowls. Well, but sloth listen. who bowls got 133 in that first game. But, Jeff, fine. Bowling's for everyone. Shabow. <laughs> mini golf, though. We followed it up with mini golf. Killed it. By the way, the party got bigger. Yeah. And we went over there. A uh, lot of white claws for people. Yeah, I know that's like the thing now. Yeah, white claws. what what is white claw? I don't know, don't okay. know. I think it's like a higher uh, percentage of alcohol. No, uh, thank you. I got that part. Yeah, uh, I saw everybody in our party just go to shit. Wait, oh, so yo, what? Crazy, oh. yo! When people got holes in one off that, shout out to uh, the bald god. Mm-hmm. Shout out to Matt Fast out when they got holes in one mm-hmm. off that white claw. Mm-hmm. It was fucking like, I you know, the, it was like Fourth of July meets uh, fucking I don't know what. Like yeah. it, it, in LA Innovation, it was it was Independence Day. <laughs> it was Independence Day. It, that was wild. Uh, Shout out to those guys, by the way, because because I I was shitty. I was shitty at mini golf. Yeah. I wasn't off any white claws. I no. was. There was no excuse. No, and it's super disappointing because I consider myself um, a fairly good athlete. I consider myself a fairly um, astute person because really it's about angles, right? This mini is golf. not. Yeah, but this isn't athletics. That's why I won. No, part of it's athletics. Of course it is. You don't think that golf is a sport? Now, here we go. Here we go, Jeff. I'm saying it can't be a sport if I won. <laughs> that's, that's it? That's it. You, so bowling is almost not a sport? It, I don't know, man. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think that any, if, if you played darts and you think you got like Oh, there's no right chance the I'd be, no, there's no chance I'm winning darts. You think that's luck? Uh, you, you deal with luck. Listen, but luck is luck is a part of sports. Here's a, it's at a bar, Jeff. I am just darts. punching holes in your argument. Par was forty three. I okay. got forty one. Oh, dude, big, big, big. Go out on tour now. Wait, what animal would you say I I putt like? Um, I swear to God, if you say sloth, I'm gonna actually flip this table. <laughs> I, I don't. I'm gonna flip this table. So I don't hard. know that many animals. That's that's the that's, <laughs> that's the, the problem. That's the problem. Yeah, sloth just came to mind, Jeff. Uh. We uh, we had a great weekend with our friends, and now it's back to work. And before we get into who's on today's podcast, mm-hmm. why should people sign up for our newsletter at itsthereal.com? Because you get to hear from me every two weeks. Yep. And also because you get the first chance to buy our new merch. Yeah. Also, I mean, like, listen, it's not just about buying merch. It's also about finding out where we're going to go on tour first. Yeah. There's a lot of like information that you can find out first There's- if you go to our newsletter. And there's insight, and there's good writing, and there's pictures, and behind-the-scenes action. There is a purpose to this newsletter. I swear, there is a purpose. It's not just, you know, I'm not just the there to. Of- no, I'm not just trying to collect your emails <laughs> to oh, sell them to people. It's definitely not that. Yeah, but. <laughs> 
maybe yeah. if things get real tough around here, then just make a quick things buck. might yeah things might go that way. But uh, yeah, you want the first chance at that new It's the Real merch? Go to itstherial.com and sign up for a newsletter. Jeff, who's on the podcast today? On the podcast today is our good friend, our great friend, our actual friend Ian Rexauer Wolfson. He is somebody who. You know, a lot of people are going to be listening to this episode because of his connection to Mac Miller. Mm-hmm. And if you are listening because of that, there's a lot of Mac Miller stories in here. Yeah. But aside from that, here is somebody who came from Pittsburgh, which is not the heart of filmmaking. No. And created a career for himself, created videos that got over a billion views on YouTube. Yeah. He's somebody who has worked with us, with Nelly, with Mac Miller, which with a bunch of different artists and just... Really great storyteller, really great stories about coming from the Midwest to seeing the world. Yeah, it's a great one, and we're really looking forward to you guys listening to this one. Jeff, when do you want to get into it? Right now. Yo, what up? It's Aaron, a.k.a. Be the Midwest, a.k.a. All I do is yins. Yo, what up? It's Jeff, a.k.a. Hit the Corner Hard, a.k.a. DJ Roomba. Yo, it's Rex Hero. <laughs> <laughs> yes, your third favorite podcast to waste time, and it's the real. Ian, what's happening? Uh, not much. <laughs> Very well. Good to see you on this side. Yeah, yeah. I've been like bouncing from coast to coast, living the bi-coastal life. Yep. Or pretending to. And yeah. sort of in the middle and all over the place. That's right, yeah. Do yeah. you have a ton of miles at this point? I do. I'm actually very close to hitting diamond status on Delta. Oh, oh shit. Like a very exciting thing for me. Exciting for us, too. Great. great. Not that like we're going to like you know take your miles, but I'm just excited for you. Well, actually, <laughs> I, I do have the opportunity to gift 25,000 miles to the person of my choice. So fucking do it. Yeah, wait, wait. <laughs> like what? Yeah. Well, I haven't reached the status yet, so. What else comes from being a Diamond member? Okay, this is the craziest perk that you get. Essentially, if you fly into an airport that has like a terminal connection, they sometimes, depending on the flight, will pick you up in a Porsche at the airplane and drive you from one terminal to the next terminal. Why Porsche? What do you want, a Maybach? Like, <laughs> yeah, no, I thought that it was going to be one of those like golf carts. No, it's, it's like a Porsche SUV. I don't know. I why. was not expecting why much. a Porsche because he has paid so much money to fly Delta That's for right. so many miles. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Ian, we've known for so long. We are friends. We have worked together. We have lots of mutual friends. One of my favorite times that we have worked together, we did a music video for our song called Dave Matthews Bands. And the whole idea was that we were going to shoot at a mansion, we were going to get these hoverboards, and we were going to roll around until they died, and then for the rest of the shoot, we would carry them around. Right, it was like the first 15 seconds are on hoverboards, and then everything the else is just like us plugged into the wall. You reached out to your college roommate freshman year. Yeah, I hadn't talked to him in about 10 years. Right. When I first met him, he told me and my parents... I want to make a million dollars by the time I'm 30. And then he did. Shouts to him. Yeah. Yeah. And so he had a great big house. And we went up there and he was like, my wife and I and our kids are going to go to the club. So um, you guys have run of the house. Have a nice day. Good luck with the shoot. Do whatever you want. And we were like, great. First shot. We were in like the atrium or whatever. Yep. Plug in the smoke machine. Oh, by the way, like the, you know, the grip set up the lights and uh, the cameras all set up and we're all excited. Uh, Jeff and I are dressed in uh, all Dave Matthews band clothing, cargo shorts, all the hemp necklaces in the world. Um, We're rolling around on hoverboards. Ian says, action, the cameras roll, the smoke machine goes on. And then the fire alarm goes off. <laughs> <laughs> and the ceilings are so high yeah. that you can't like just like 
take the battery out or unplug it. But right. also the fact that the alert went to them at the pool. Right. So they get it on their phones. Right, they yeah. call Jeff. Yeah. And they're like, is everything okay? And I'm just like, ah, ah, ah. <laughs> yeah, everything's fine. Ah, ah. <laughs> Cops showed up. Fire department showed up. Yeah, the groundskeepers showed up. Yeah. It was like, remember in like um, something about Mary yeah. when, you know, uh, Ben Stiller zips up uh, over his uh, genitals mm. and then everyone starts poking their heads in. It was right, like yeah. that, except uh, when the police showed up and they said, who lives here? And we're on the hoverboards. We're like, uh, none, none of, of us. us. Yeah. yeah, there's like stacks of cash on the floor. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah so. That was that was a fun start to the shoot. That was, yeah. <laughs> what was your second worst experience at a video shoot? Well, this happened recently, and actually, this is just like it worked out. Everything is fine, but as it always does, by the way, it it tends to. But <laughs> essentially, I did a music video last year that featured Wiz Khalifa, and I had never worked with Wiz. I'd met him a couple times in sure. the studio, Pittsburgh. But Pittsburgh, yep. Uh, I think he was a freshman when I was a senior, so there was like a slight overlap. Yeah. Um, Alderdice. Alderdice, yeah. But basically, we he's the featured artist. We find a location. It turns out it's the um, house of my good college friend's uh, wife's family, which... I didn't know at the time when we were picking the location, but like probably would not have like chosen <laughs> that small degree of separation. Yeah. Um, and they had a pretty strict policy about no smoking. And we <laughs> get in touch with Wiz's manager and he's like, so just a heads up, like Wiz is gonna smoke on set. <laughs> and basically we had to figure out a way to work around Wiz being on the location, but not physically smoking on set and the solution was we had to get a trailer parked on the property <laughs> that was technically our private property within their <laughs> private property and so Wiz would smoke and then come out and do like two or three takes and then go back into the trailer and smoke and I didn't believe that this would actually occur I thought like he'd probably smoke before he came on set and then once we got into it he'd probably be able to muscle through like everything we needed to shoot which was like maybe 30 minutes and <laughs> literally we're two takes in and he pulls out a blunt and lights it did you panic uh i did i did <laughs> um but like it was the type of thing like the take was we were in the middle of the take couldn't stop so i just kind of let it go and then it was like okay let's send him back to the trailer and we were like trying to troubleshoot what to do <laughs> And it was the type of thing, it's like, I mean, whiz is whiz. You're not going to rain whiz in. So it was just like, we have like four more takes we need to do. Let's just get it done and deal with the repercussions later. And there, <laughs> there weren't any, but uh, that was the most like logistically difficult thing I've ever had to do on a music <laughs> video. Uh, your uncle uh, went on to internet fame. Actually, he, he passed away. Right. Uh, very sorry about that. In his obituary, he said... Please do not elect Donald Trump, America. That's right, yeah. It went around the internet. Um, it caught a lot of fire, but it didn't work. <laughs> it didn't work. And now I'm like, well, if he had to write a second obituary, <laughs> what would be in that one? Yeah. Like, don't, don't, vote yeah, again. Yeah, don't vote for him again. Yeah. <laughs> um, did you know that that was going to happen? No, I, it's funny because my cousin was the one who had to put the obituary together. And... My aunt and uncle were very political, so it made sense that he would have had one last thing about that. But I think all of us were a little surprised that it went as big as it did. I, I think 
uh, were all surprised that uh, the whole thing went as big as it did. That, that's <laughs> yeah. very true. Like, what would your uncle think if, like, he was alive today? I don't. I, he'd be very disappointed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you're originally from Pittsburgh. Originally, uh, originally from Pittsburgh. I was born in Colorado, though. Oh, really? Thank you for clearing that, that up. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I know the internet has been, like, <laughs> debating that, but yeah. So I was born in Colorado, but raised in Pittsburgh. But when you when you look back at Pittsburgh, like, do you feel like you are innately Pittsburgh? Do you feel like it had like the biggest effect on who you are? Yes and no. There are things about me that like Pittsburgh clearly had a major hand in shaping. And then it's like, but then I also lived in New York for 12 years. Sure. And I feel like New York also had an equal hand in that. It's hard to say because now I'm reaching the point where I've lived... I've almost lived, no, I guess I have lived outside of Pittsburgh as much as I've lived in Pittsburgh. Um, but there's definitely things when you go back to Pittsburgh that just feel so instantly comfortable and familiar that it's like hard to like separate yourself from. Eating grinders or <laughs> what do you, it, grinders uh, or hoagies? or Hoagies, hoagies yeah. yeah. Hoagies, um, fries on the salad. Whoa. Fr- well, at the bottom of the salad. <laughs> Right, because that's a yeah, healthier that's normal. Right, yeah, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, the accent, which I've worked really hard to get rid of. When you went to college, were you just like, I have to not be... It wasn't like a conscious decision, but like every time I would watch a video that I... Like, because we made a bunch of films in high school and I would star in them and do other things. And like, I would hear my voice and it was excruciating. It was like nails on a chalkboard. And like, to this day, I still say certain things... With yins. <laughs> yeah, like just blatant yins constantly. It's just like certain words, like towel. Most people say towel, but like if you're from Pittsburgh, you say towel. Or this is my favorite thing. Pittsburgh people have decided that the English language is a little bit too cumbersome. <laughs> so if, you, if you're to say like the room needs to be cleaned. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. We don't think you need the two and the two and the B, so we just say the room needs cleaned. <laughs> not the not the room needs cleaning, just the room needs cleaned. Yeah. yeah. Wait, at what point did you realize we need more words in our language? Oh, you go to college and you say something like, I just like my room needs cleaned and everyone is like, <laughs> What did you just say? <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it just takes like stepping out into any other world. Sure. We're like, where is the to be in that sentence? So uh so it's you, your parents, and uh who else in your family out there? I have a younger brother and then I that uncle that you spoke of, mm-hmm. he and his wife had four kids and so there was like a big extended family and there's lots of cousins and uncles and stuff. So Did you guys all live like close to one another? Yeah, we did. So like my, that that uncle was like a second father to me and his sons are like older brothers to me so we were very close growing up like sunday dinners every night um yeah i mean every week every week yes <laughs> yes, yes. We sunday, sunday dinners, dinners every, every night, night. Yeah. yeah we somehow figured it out <laughs> every week is shark week <laughs> what were the movies and and shows that like shaped your life as a kid well, it, I remember because i had these older cousins who were like my older brothers like they they definitely exposed me to things that I probably wouldn't have been allowed to watch otherwise. So like In Living Color was like a staple of Sunday nights. We'd have Sunday dinner and then watch In Living Color. And it was like, I kind of knew it was maybe not the most appropriate (laughs) show to watch as like a (laughs) five-year-old, but it was so cool. And like Fire Marshal Bill. Oh my God. Yeah, it was just like, it was cool. And the music was cool and there were dancers. It was just like very different from every other show that was on. So... I feel like that 
was pretty big. And then obviously like the like the cartoons on Nickelodeon were huge, like Ren and Stimpy and mm-hmm. Doug and When did you sense that you had like a tinge of creativity? Um, I mean in <laughs> Okay. Uh well in <laughs> elementary school there was a talent show and um I really wanted to be a part of it and I didn't know what to do. And initially I had like a terrible idea of like doing a magic trick, even though I don't know how to do magic. And then my aunt, who was married to the uncle that we will refer to a fair amount. Yeah. Um, she was like, you know what you should do? And basically my cousins in high school had done this for their talent show. They basically dressed up as Diana Ross and the Supremes <laughs> and then lip sync to stop in the name of love. And she was like, that's what you're doing. I already have the choreography because I taught them the first time. We just have to find a dress that fits you. Oh, this is like Menudo. They just like replace like yeah, what? yeah. <laughs> basically yeah. The Wolf's in Menudo plan. Um, yeah, so I did that, um, and it was actually great. It was fun. I got a big rise out of the audience. Um, and you're like fuck magic, <laughs> fuck magic. Um, and we did a couple other variations of that. So I was I did Elvis one year, Sonny and Cher. Did this was like a thing at my elementary school, and there are tapes and. Every girl that I've ever dated has begged to see these tapes, and I just I don't know where they are. I have to find them. Good cover. That's a good, yeah. yeah. Very yeah, good yeah. album. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I mean, I was always interested in creative stuff. We would like write radio shows when Home Alone Two came out. I don't know if you remember how like big the Talk Boy was. That was yeah. like the mm-hmm. tape recorder that he used. Oh yeah, yeah, that could like play things back. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So we couldn't afford the like the official licensed Talkboy, but we got like just like a Sony cassette recorder, and we would write radio shows. Theater of the mind. Yeah, just like hour long radio shows about like the Pittsburgh sports, like movies we liked. So there was always like a desire to do stuff creative, and I think it was when I got into high school that like figuring out how to actually apply that to something found its sort of. I sort of found my way on it. How is Pittsburgh like situated? Is it like the suburbs that you're living in or is it like a more, are you living? Deer Hunter. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's exactly like Deer Hunter. Um, No, it's like weird because there is a downtown in Pittsburgh, but no one lives there. So all the neighborhoods, like if you're from New York and you go to Pittsburgh, it kind of feels like a giant suburb. Like my neighborhood, which is the most suburb-esque neighborhood of Pittsburgh, doesn't have sidewalks. Wow. I don't know why. Like <laughs> there's plenty of space. They could have like laid out the design of the neighborhood to include sidewalks. Well, listen, you're taking out the 2B from sentences. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Might as well, yeah. Might as well take, take out the sidewalk. Sure. Yeah, 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 of course. Yeah. Of course. <laughs> so yeah, like all the neighborhoods kind of feel more like suburban residential areas so in high school when you're looking to like drive around are you going downtown or like Never. where where do you guys go downtown? for fun yeah we go up street <laughs> so i can't tell if you're kidding, <laughs> I'm not kidding. <laughs> so in the neighborhood that i lived in that alderdice is sort of situated in well i lived in a weird sort of hickish like sliver of a neighborhood that like no one lived in but I live very close to Squirrel Hill, which is where Alderdice uh, High School is. And then like Malcolm and Jimmy lived in Point Breeze. So like they're all, they all kind of hug around where Alderdice is situated. And in Squirrel Hill, there is like a, bi- a main street. Um, well, there's like two, there's Forward Avenue and then there's Forbes Avenue and they have like restaurants and shops and stuff. 
But when you're in high school, it's just called upstreet. So, <laughs> I mean, if you want to like do the full Pittsburgh thing, it's like Yin's going upstreet. <laughs> but like basically after school, it's like, are we going to go to someone's house or are we going to go upstreet? And upstreet meant like getting a slice of pizza or like a hoagie or. And that that's always the move, huh? Yeah. Well, yeah, because you want to hang out. You're hungry. And, sure. Yeah. By the way, you know what the craziest and worst part about this podcast is going to be? You work so hard to get rid of this Pittsburgh accent, and then we're just going to double down yeah, and be like, back. But, yeah. but like, but how would you say as a Pittsburgh native? <laughs> exactly. It's just going to fry your brain. Yeah. So, so, okay, you're a creative kid. You get to high school. At what point do you get behind a camera and sort of decide that you can tell a story? Um, so basically... And this is just the way Pittsburgh works. So it's like, it's going to sound made up, but it's true. So in our high school, there was like a yearly program that you had to do. It was like a project. So it was like each year you had to do an end of the year project that could be whatever you wanted it to be. It could be, you could write something, you could paint something. Um, it had to tie into some sort of academic avenue. So... For example, like my freshman year, I did a like short film about my family's entry into Ellis Island. Wow. Um, so initially it was just like, I wanna do something about my family because I didn't know what else to do. And, um, and then my English teacher was like, well actually there's a video production room in the high school. You should go talk to this man, Carl Tolino. And so I went to go talk to this guy and he, he had this huge room on the top floor of the high school and it was like filled with like, like um, three quarter inch VHS, like VHS to VHS editing machines. There were a couple computers. There was like a dark room. And I'm just like, I don't know anything about this, but I think I want to do a documentary about Ellis Island and can you help me? But this is where the story gets strange, which is that, so Carl Tolino, had been in the Pittsburgh public school system for decades and in the late 80s was at this other high school, Shenley High School, where my cousins went. And basically Carl Tolino was the guy that helped teach my cousin Jason, who lives here in New York and is a filmmaker, uh, how to take photographs. Whoa. And it was just this weird thing where it was like Tolino had been this like huge instrumental part of my cousin's life. And then he ended up becoming, like I wouldn't be here today if it weren't for this teacher. Wow. Um, so basically the first year he kind of sat me down, taught me how to literally edit from VHS to VHS. Um, so like straight analog. I took like other documentaries that existed that had Ellis Island footage and kind of like cut it together. He showed me how to record a voiceover. It was like the whole thing. And he was really easy to work with, really like patient and it was great. And then the next year I was like, okay, I wanna do that, something with that again. And he was like, well, you should try digital editing. And so he had the first version of Final Cut Pro that was ever released wow. on like one of the early Mac, you know, um, iMacs or. Did yeah. you have like the, the hockey puck like yeah. mouse? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it was like the sunflower. Oh, um, yeah. Or it was the one before the sunflower, but like the bulb. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the colored panels and basically like sat me down and I learned Final Cut bit by bit. And I did like an insane 47 minute documentary about running. I was a cross country runner and ran track in high school. And so I did a thing about like running and what it means to be a runner, <laughs> but like cut in clips from like Van Halen. <laughs> well, like famous running movies, Star Wars, <laughs> like a bunch of cartoons that I liked. And then it was all set to music. So it was essentially a 47 minute music video yeah. about running. It was the belly of running. <laughs> 
videos? Yes. yes. Wait, was it that you were trying to, like, was it clips of people running so that it was like, oh, if you don't know what running is, here's what it is in Star Wars? <laughs> well, no, it was like, basically I, like, covered, like, what it meant to be a runner and how, like, how you train and all of that. And there were a bunch of movies that had come out around that time about, like, Prefontaine. Mm -hmm. And then also there was this famous Ethiopian runner Haile Gebra Selassie who had just done a huge movie with Disney so there was great footage of him all of that went in the documentary plus footage that my dad shot of me running plus voiceover but then the Star Wars bit was that I then was like I have to do a section about like the heart and like the demons that haunt you when you're like stepping up to the starting line. Oh my so God. Then, <laughs> so then I cut in like footage of Star Wars. It was like, <laughs> I showed it to my class and my teacher was like, I really love the metaphorical sections featuring <laughs> yeah. like other movies. That was really deep. Were there other kids who were also sort of on that wavelength? Or were you like the, the star pupil who, who I, wanted to just be like a film director and everybody was like, whatever? No, I mean, I first of all, was not a star pupil. So it was like I kind of leaned on video because I was, like, not interested in what was... In I mean, academia? I was, I was yeah. but, like, I just... I think I had ADHD and was, like, undiagnosed with it. So I was just, like, bouncing off the walls. And video was, like, a thing I could focus on. Mm. And so I ended up doing projects all four years. And actually, senior year, we did, like, a senior video where basically you'd film your classmates all year long and then you'd make a video at the end and it would show it like during like the lunchroom session. But it's like all of this stuff ended up ultimately being like test versions of music videos. It was just taking images that I had access to or could create and then setting them to music. So it's like, it's not that far off that I then made the leap later on sure. to doing that exact same thing. So in Pittsburgh, how big are Jeff Goldblum? For for you in that in that time and uh, Mr. Rogers, well Jeff Goldblum not so much because it's like I love Jeff Goldblum sure but I think he's like gone out of his way to like separate the Pittsburgh identity and he actually did a film in like the early two thousands I think called Pittsburgh where he came back to do a musical about Pittsburgh but it's kind of that that type of thing where he came back and then kind of made fun of Pittsburgh. Mm. Um, said the guy who comes on here <laughs> and admits to giving up his accent. Yeah, <laughs> making fun of it. Yeah. yeah, definitely more of a Michael Keaton fan, who's mm. a more of a like a lesser known Pittsburgh celebrity. But Michael Keaton got his start on Mr. Rogers. He was like a production assistant and actually a bit player. Like when they would do little scenarios, he was one of the bit players. Mr. Rogers. That's a whole other crazy thing because this same uncle that we've mentioned now several times. Yes. Uh, he was Mr. Rogers' chiropractor, and they lived on the same block as um, Chef Brockett from Mr. Rogers. How small is Pittsburgh? It's very small. <laughs> but this is where things get crazy is that I actually remember when I was like five or six years old, Mr. Rogers, who was a good friend of my uncle's, came to my aunt and uncle's house for dinner. And this was very difficult for me to process because <laughs> it was like, there's Mr. Rogers, the TV person, and then Mr. Rogers, the actual person. And he was as amazing and lovely in real life as he was on TV, but my brain couldn't do <laughs> the processing of it. So I was just like, I basically stared at him the entire dinner, unable to like accept that this was the person that I grew up watching and still watched at that point. So. Did he do bits for you? No, but you he, mean like take the the jacket off and put on a sweater? 
Yeah, that, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I meant like, did he have like not maybe like puppets with him, but was he like paying special attention to you to be like, oh, like you know? Yeah, the, he he definitely likes like when he first came in and introduced himself. There was like a mo- like he took a little bit of time to like ask me questions about myself, which. Like, adults don't really do. Thoughtful. When you were getting ready to look at colleges, it was, like, film or bust? Uh, yeah, I guess it, I guess it was. Actually, it's, it was, like, film or bust, and then New York or bust. Oh, you wouldn't stay in town? No, I never thought about I, like, wanted to get out of there. It wasn't University of Pittsburgh. Yeah, it was you and Jeff Goldblum. Did it you wasn't ever Carnegie think Mellon. going to L.A.? You know, it's funny, because now that I sort of live in L.A., I don't know why I never thought of it. I think it just felt too far. Yeah. And, like alienating and just i just i didn't i didn't know anyone that lived there whereas like my cousin jason lived in new york and um but yeah i mean i wanted to go to film school but then like really the film school you applied to is tish mm-hmm. and at nyu at nyu yeah. yeah and like even though i had done all of these films and videos and things i had like a teacher kind of convince me not to apply and then i got recruited to go to college for for running um, cause I was like ranked in the state and I was like the, f- I had held the city record, uh, I held the city record in Pittsburgh for both like the cross country course and like upstreet. It was near upstreet, <laughs> adjacent to upstreet. Yeah. So I got recruited to go to school and I, me- I got recruited by NYU and the running mm-hmm. coach was like, oh, you'll never get in. You should do this like communications program and then maybe you can transfer in. So is this uh, did teacher... Did they even see your 47-minute film about right, running? Right. Is this teacher yeah. Darth Vader? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, exactly. How does it exactly work here? Yeah. So for, so for some reason, I actually let the I let these people get into my head. That's such I, a bummer. Yeah, I never applied. But actually, like, in hindsight, I'm actually glad I didn't go to Tisch. I mean, like, Tisch is an amazing school. Hats off to everyone that has gone there. Yeah. Yo, you uh, don't need them anymore. You don't have to say nice things about right. them. That's right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> but like at Columbia, where I went, I actually got, I think, a much more rounded education. And the people I met, I think, were coming from so many different backgrounds that I feel like I got more out of college because I didn't go to a film school. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I still made films in college and did projects. And But what did you major in in college? Um, I did film theory, which had no filmmaking. Right. Um, and then creative writing. Um, so yeah. did film theory like change the way that you looked at movies? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Because you basically like, I mean, besides like the history, you do like a deep dive to like the beginning of the silent film era and takes it all the way to now. But then you dig into the theory. And it's not that like when I'm making the stuff I make now, I apply theory to it. Mm-hmm. But I think just being exposed to films and styles and also understanding like the different movements in film that actually did sort of shape like stylistically where film is today. I just think if you, d- you can make films and be an amazing filmmaker without knowing any of that, but I feel thankful that I do know it. And Could- I also got like Columbia's program is unique in that like because of New York, you, the faculty there are like unparalleled. So. One of my professors who I had for three years was a film critic named Andrew Saris, who like literally wrote the book on like the auteur theory in like America. Like he brought the auteur theory to America. So essentially the idea that there are filmmakers that have specific traits that carry from film to film. He literally kind of wrote the book on that. He was a huge champion of like French films. So he like when the French New Wave hit, he was like these films are amazing. You should go see them. And he was an active critic while I was like, um, attending school, which is great. Wow. Although I will say like, 
it kind of waned in the, in the last year, which is that I think the last year I took a class with him called Film Criticism. And I was like, this is gonna be really cool. I'm gonna learn from one of the great <laughs> critics. And I show up and basically it became very clear that he was using this class to watch films that he had to review <laughs> for the New York Observer. And so basically we were doing his work for him. We would have like a dialogue after, you know, a discourse after the movie was over and it was like, oh, we're just basically doing your work. Right. Yeah. So did you start seeing like things that you said like in his comms? No, it never went that far. Um, but I just, I do remember that he was, this was around the time Lord of the Rings came out and he was really against the hobbits. What? Was your New York experience living uptown, living on the Columbia campus or around? Oh, I mean, it, w it was not living in New York. So, like, I say I lived in New York for 12 years, but really I lived in New York <laughs> for eight years. And four of those years were spent probably going to, like, the same two bars and, like, never leaving campus. And that's, like, I'm a bit ashamed of that because, like, I was living in the most amazing city on the planet. But it's just one of those things, like, when you're in college, like, you... Like there were those people that like would go to jazz clubs on the weekends. Or, not like, this guy. Or go to the hookah lounge on like like down in the Lower East Side. Like not this guy. Not this guy. <laughs> no. You were going to the bodega. Going to the bodega. Mm -hmm. um, uh, it was just like I wanted a college experience as much as I wanted the New York experience. Right. So leaving campus just felt like a betrayal of that. And then also like I did a lot of stuff with like theater in college. So because there wasn't a filmmaking program, theater felt like the next best thing because I could still tell stories and act and do stuff like that so yeah. and what did your parents think about your career path at that point were they in favor of you becoming a filmmaker yeah I think my parents have always actually been really supportive which is great I think there was like maybe a bit of a low point right after college so right after college um, I moved into an apartment on 111th in Amsterdam so literally right around the corner from campus and finally fulfilled my dream of being a video store clerk at Kim's Mediopolis. Yeah. For those who don't know, Kim's is a legendary series, video store. series yeah. of video stores in New York that no longer exists. But like for me, that was the dream because I like got to rent movies for free. They had an amazing, I mean, they had, there was a New York Times article about it, but like their video collection ended up getting sold to an Italian collector but like they had stuff on vhs that was out of print and unavailable anywhere else so like where blockbuster would have like a million copies of like the newest movie this was more curated oh yeah this was very dependent on those people who work there this was an experience yeah it was great i mean the experience was primarily that you were really shitty to the customers <laughs> <laughs> and it was like one of those things i remember being in college being like if i ever work there i'm really i'm gonna be the nice guy at Kim's. <laughs> And then you're like six shifts into working at Kim's and you're like, fuck this. <laughs> I hate everyone. Why are you renting this movie? Um, but yeah, I remember. Like you look down on everyone who. Oh, yeah. Because yeah, yeah. Yeah. I remember there was a point where I had to rent Bambi for a film course because we were, we were writing about like the peak era of Disney and I had to rent Bambi. And I remember the, the store clerk, like when I went to go check it out was like, Okay, so we have, uh, like, loudly was like, we have a guy here running Bambi. Um, Bambi is due back tomorrow. Um, if you need to extend Bambi longer, um, just please give us a call. But this is Bambi. Enjoy Bambi. Um, Damn. So, so, yeah, you kind of look down on people for running stupid movies. Um, not that Bambi is a stupid movie. Right, wow. That is the peak yeah. era of Disney. Yeah. Right yeah. there. Yeah. 
But I just remember my mom, I was at like a dinner with my mom and someone was like, oh, like your son, like now that he's out of Columbia, like what is he doing? And my mom was like, oh, he's working at a video store. <laughs> so um, I think even during that time, they were pretty supportive. But yeah, they've always been. But was that at all like sort of not inspired by, but did it give you like sort of solace that like Quentin Tarantino worked at a video store and became Quentin Tarantino? Totally. No, yeah. I mean, it was there were things about the job I really loved and a lot of it was just like getting to sift through the shelves and find stuff that I had never heard of. And the truth about cats and dogs. <laughs> yeah. yeah, All dogs go to heaven too. Yeah. But it was also great cause I lived a block and a half from work. That's so nice. So walking to work was just really great. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was, it was not meant to be for a long time and then they, they closed. So. Well, but what did you do film wise during that, that time? Um, I made, three films in college i think that's it did you shoot on film no so actually no i made more than that i did one film junior year and then senior year i took a intro to filmmaking and it was like the type of thing where you'd go through a series of filmmaking um tasks so it's like character a needs something from character b and then it, you know they would give the example of like someone wants to borrow sugar um <laughs> I ended up doing stuff that was very different from that. So I don't know if you remember when like the Cristo gates were up in central park. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. I basically like the class was happening during that time. And I was like, I should do something with these gates. Cause they'll only be up for a short amount of time. And so I, I took two friends and we went out in the middle of winter and we shot this film where it's like basically a friend, one, my one friend was an assassin and the other friend was, also an assassin and they used to be lovers but you're not told any of this that's just the backstory and basically she arrives to get like um a mini disc from him this is man you yeah. really couldn't get out of your own world <laughs> <laughs> yeah and basically she, someone borrowed sugar from the other person <laughs> yeah exactly there's like information on that mini disc and he realizes that she's there to kill him to take the mini disc and they run through the gate so i did like Every time there was an assignment, I would do something completely different. And then I, there was like another one where it was like, you have to show a process. And so I showed my friend, the same friend who was in all of these films, it was a process of how to be the best. And it was like shot in black and white and only using like old timey music. But it was essentially like my friend woke up in bed and he like threw off the covers and was already dressed in a suit. <laughs> so it's, it was like sort of like winky winky stuff like that where it was like, oh, like you're the best if you like drink, you know, drink raw egg and you like drink a whiskey drink that's two fingers, but it's like a huge glass of whiskey. It's like all stuff like that. So yeah. I did a lot of things that were like me trying out stuff with filmmaking and storytelling, even though they were just assignments. Which is really what college should be about anyway. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's not like to get the perfect thing out there the first time. It's right. all about process and learning and but yeah, this figuring was, your, your vision, I, I would think. Yeah, yeah, and there's, because there's no financial, in, there's, there's no like financial commitment or obligation, it's just, you can just play around. But this was all on like mini DV tapes. Yeah. Which you guys know. Oh, far too well. Yeah. I, by the way, I have so many mini DV tapes like in my closet right oh, yeah. now and yeah. under my bed like just a lot of them you all your them Kanye away. stuff is on mini DV right Kanye stuff like all of our early sketches like different work projects right. it's just all there and you know I don't have a mini DV like deck or anything you know oh, I do oh do you really yeah so if you ever want to transcode Please. them yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah so 
at what point do you figure out your way back to Pittsburgh, though? Okay, so I was working at Kim's. was not making a lot of money. I remember at one point I went in for a meeting like with the counselors at Columbia. Even though I had graduated, it was like you could go back in and get like career um, advice. And they're and, like, don't go to Tish. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But basically, I was like struggling because I, I was making, I was technically making like below the poverty line, which was okay because my apartment was really cheap and my expenses were low. But it was like, this is not really sustainable long term. So I went and she was very discouraging. She was like, well, you need a job that makes at least $100,000. And I was like, great. <laughs> so then I quit my, I quit Kim's. You gave him an ultimatum. Yeah, yeah. Six figures or I leave. Right. And they were like, like great, $10,000 in a sandwich. <laughs> um, for some reason, that meeting prompted me to quit the job. And I, I had written a feature length script. And I basically left New York and went back to Pittsburgh to make a feature film. And how would you get a feature film done in Pittsburgh? Well, I think my thinking behind it was that I had access to a camera um, and a tripod. So, hey, we're good there. Yeah. yeah. Um, and like Pittsburgh's the type of place, it is very small, so you can get favors from people. And also people aren't um, jaded and bitter the way they are here. So you can like go into a shop and just say, hey, look, I have no money, but I like want to shoot something. Can we use like your counter space or you know, like a table in your restaurant. And so you don't have to lie and say that you're a student. <laughs> yeah, you don't No, And like the, you can film anywhere without permits and it's mostly fine. I mean, I, maybe it's changed now, but, um, so I think my thinking was, is that with a camera and some actors and a script, we could make a film in like three weeks and it wouldn't cost, maybe it would cost like three or four grand, but then I'd have a feature film done and that felt better than like trying to spend like $150,000 on film school. And from there, that could go to festivals right. or wherever. Yeah, no, I mean, the, I, I, I was like, we're going to Sundance yeah. like, for sure. What was the log line of the film? Uh, <laughs> uh, it's like struggling New York artist. You. <laughs> returns home. <laughs> <laughs> to hometown, yeah. Only to find that hometown has like transformed in the in his absence. Yeah. Wow. So the story you knew. Yeah. Yeah. And um, uh, so the grand plan was three weeks. Three it took weeks. longer. It took four months. Okay. <laughs> um, I lost an actor. Um, to to my dog. Okay. <laughs> Wait. What? Yeah. <laughs> All right. So did your dog your dog turn down another part? <laughs> Yes. Um, basically, I, I had a group of actors that came from New York and with you. Yeah, they did. Yeah, I found like a couple. A, it was like the film really only had three or four parts, and the rest of the parts could have been filled by people in Pittsburgh. Dogs. Yeah. Dogs. yeah. Um, and All dogs so, go to Pittsburgh. Oh, yes. Yes. Um, so basically, came back to Pittsburgh with these two actors, and then a third actor that kind of bounced between New York and Pittsburgh who I went to high school with. And um, we're about two weeks in, filming's going okay, but not great. And because it was low budget, like my parents would cook meals for us at night. And so it's like Sunday night, we're having dinner, we're kind of decompressing, getting ready for the week. And the guy that was the lead um, had had two months to drink and um, basically had, put my parents dog now my parents have 
a long-haired Akita. She's like 100 pounds. Uh, basically put that dog in a headlock and was growling in the dog's face. And we're all sitting there. It's happening very quickly. And I'm like, please stop doing that. She's starting to growl. Please stop doing that. And before anyone sort of realized what was happening, my dog snapped, their dog snapped and bit him in the face <laughs> and like literally put two holes in his face. Oh my God. And we're all kind of like stunned. <laughs> and so, but like he also like, it was clearly his fault. Like my dog had, has never, had never bit anyone and hasn't since. And um, actually this is my parents' old dog. But anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I took him to the hospital. He got stitches. And so then the next day, it's like, hey, man, so do you want to talk about what happened last night? <laughs> and he's like, no, not really. <laughs> and I was like, okay, well, that can't... Well, I was like, that can't really happen again. So, like, I need you to apologize, like, to my family. And to the dog. To the dog. Like, and he basically refused to, so I fired him. Wow. So that was like... Yeah, it was like a week and a half in. It's like three days before Thanksgiving, and my, act, my lead actress, who had kind of moved into also a producing role was like, I, I mean, this is the, the thing that like what you would shut down a film for. Yeah. And, and she's like, <laughs> well, I actually used to do karaoke with this guy. I don't know <laughs> if he's an actor, but like, I'm sure he'd be down to come to Pittsburgh. And so we got on like, this was like Skype times. We like Skyped with this guy and we were like, do you want to come to Pittsburgh? And he said, yeah, sure. So, Bought him a bus ticket and he came to Pittsburgh and um, no audition. No audition. <laughs> um, I mean, he did karaoke. Oh, sure, yeah, karaoke, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he can carry a tune. Can he carry a film? <laughs> I think. I think many festivals, including the Sundance <laughs> Film Festival, would argue that he can't carry a film. <laughs> uh, yeah, basically, it was a very interesting experience from there on out. We had a lot of other perils. We like lost some cast members to like drugs and alcohol and they like i still don't know where they are to this day i think they're alive we just don't know where they are oh my god yeah it was like a pretty like insane three months of filming this, this is, is like a shia labeouf film shoot. <laughs> yeah like by the end of it when i would tell people the story they were like that story sounds so much more interesting than the, <laughs> than the actual movie yeah, yeah. <laughs> um so but, were you discouraged by the end of it i was just so thankful to be done and alive and alive and yeah. with your face intact and, and you have my... to edit the rest of the film yeah well it's just it was like a nightmare and like the guy that came in he was very sweet he's a good guy but like not an actor um just like really difficult to work with like really just it was like pulling teeth to actually get anything even usable um and again it's not his fault he's not an actor but like we were <laughs> desperate and we took someone that like had no business being in a film um but amidst all this chaos there is like one bright spot, at least in terms of my memory, which is that there was a scene in the film that called for a 15-year-old drug dealer character. And initially, my brother was going to play it, who, who was 14 at the time. But yeah, basically, one of my actors, the guy that was floating between Pittsburgh and New York, was like, I know the perfect kid for this. Um, I'll call him. I'm sure he's down. He was like, he's down. He's going to come over. And, so and his name? His name is Malcolm. Yeah. And Malcolm walks into the door and it's like the baggy, I mean, these were, it was like near Jinko level baggy <laughs> jeans, a hoodie with like a slogan that was just like pimps, money and hose. Mm -hmm. And then a polka dotted Yankees hat. <laughs> and he was just like, yo, what's up? But then here's where things get weird. Cause Pittsburgh's very small. 
it turns out my mom was his Sunday school teacher like five years prior. Wow. And she's in the kitchen and she's like, Malcolm. <laughs> and so it was just like one of those moments where it was like, okay, Pittsburgh is really, really small. But basically Malcolm did the scene and this was while, this is when he was easy Mac. So he's mm-hmm. not yet Mac Miller. Um, but he, w- he was great. I mean, he was like a little shy on camera because he had never really been on camera before. But he would like freestyle in between takes and he was really like charming and, and nice. And it was one of those things like we became Facebook friends after that. And I was like, well, this is kind of strange because he's nine years younger than me. But like he was a cool kid. And, you know, when the film's done, I'll send him a copy. And that was kind of that. So then I go back to New York and I start editing this like mess of a thing. And <laughs> it's a real mess. And it, it takes me like almost two years to actually cut the entire thing and get it like to a place where I actually show it. Oh my God. But in the meantime, like a year after we were done shooting, I get a Facebook message from Malcolm and he's like, yo, like what's going on with the film? And I'm like, ah, like working on it. Yeah. Chill. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Respect the process. (laughs) And he's like, well, can I send you something? And basically he sent me, um, like a zip file of uh, the jukebox. His and, first mixtape. Yeah. And what did you think would come of this? Were you just like, he's just, you know, going to get my opinion? Yeah. Also, were you, did you even want to listen to the music? Well, no, it's the type of thing. Like, I, w- I mean, I listened to hip hop. I like did a hip hop radio show in college. So it was like not, there wasn't like such a far leap, but it was like, you know what, this kid did me a solid, let me listen to his tape. And I start listening to it and it was like shockingly good. Like shockingly polished, shockingly like well put together and presented, like he seemed confident. It was like really strange. And then like in between making the feature film and Malcolm and I doing the first music video, I had done a couple of short films that essentially functioned as music videos. So there was like a, there was like a little bit of like a connective glue in the process. So it's like I did these two sort of music videos set to famous songs or like someone else's songs in New York. And while that was happening, Malcolm reached out and I listened to it and there was a song on it that I just really responded to, which is Cruisin'. And I I sent him a message. I was like, dude, we like, what do you think about doing a music video? And I had gone onto Tree J TV and like watched the videos that Tree J had shot like a thousand times. And anytime anyone would come over, I'd be like, you should watch this kid. Like, especially the video for On Some Real Shit. It's like super lo-fi. The video is like charming, but it's like, you know, very like low quality. But like, he did it to an old school beat. It's him just like crushing it. And I was like, this kid is really talented. Um, And so, yeah, so Malcolm was like, I'm down. Like, what do we need? And like that first music video, I, I remember being like, nervous about asking him for money because he's also a 16 year old kid so i was like well do you mind just like paying to like rent a lens and he was like yeah no problem man i got you and then i like i was like okay cool so i'm making a music video so then what'd you shoot on oh man (laughs) it was the dvx 100 the same one that i had shot uh the movie on but it i had a lens adapter so when i made the movie i bought this like 35 millimeter depth of field adapter um that the only other person i've ever seen post anything about it is actually rick cordero um but this was like basically how you cheated the dslr look before the dslrs came out yeah 
and it was like this huge thing that attached on the front of the camera and then you could attach any type of lens you wanted to it but it was it made the camera like four times as heavy so you couldn't really do handheld <laughs> so the entire point of that camera was like nullified and then <laughs> like mine got kind of screwed up so there was like this thin strip of rubber that like was the seal around the lens mount and it had gotten messed up making the feature so there was basically this little black mark that was in every single shot <laughs> that yeah. was your signature yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so we director X does like the, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Opening panel or whatever. Yeah. It was just a little artifact. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was the first one. And it was like, had no idea what we were doing. Like, you know, I like, I showed up to his house and he was like, I'll be right back. I have to go get some like cigarettes. And it was just like, what am I doing? Like, what am I doing? <laughs> this is like a 16 year old kid. I have no idea what we're doing, but that first music video, it was like, a lot of like trial and error, but I do remember, and this kind of happened on every other music video that we ever did. It was like, when we got into the scene in the barber shop, it was like, okay, this is a unique setting. Like I've never, I don't, I'm sure there's been other music videos, hip hop videos that have been set in a barber shop, but I've never seen one where essentially the action is that the barber just pretends like the camera isn't there. <laughs> and it was like, Malcolm pretending to get a haircut. And it was like the kind of thing that felt kind of less serious or less earnest and more kind of irreverent. And it was like, I kind of felt after that, it was like, if we can have a little bit of that in every video, then these videos will work. Because it, I mean, at that time, I mean, and Malcolm used to tell me, he was just like, when I first started, it was like everyone I went to high school with was like, why are you rapping? You're like a white Jew from Point Breeze. You are like, this is like, he used to be in a rock band. Like it was like, why are you rapping? You're not qualified to do this. So it's like being that it was an uphill battle. I mean, his talent was there, but it's just like the perception of the image. It's like, how can you twist that so that people look at him, not just based on like how he looks. Yeah. If you think of perception, especially with him and you're the guy behind the lens, how big of a deal was that for you to put that into effect for him over the course of like, especially his earlier years? I mean, like, I think it would be un, it wouldn't be, it would be inaccurate to say that like Malcolm did not have a firm command of his image. I think he understood that. And I think as time went on, he found ways to like um, present himself that like constantly thwarted expectations. But yeah, I mean, it was it was never something we talked about, but it was always something that I was like, if we can do something just that's just different, then great. I feel like I feel like that's what he needs in order to just stand apart. And like, obviously, we then went on to do other videos that were more straightforward in terms of like, like we did videos like Loud, where it was all about just like rapping to camera and like women flanking him and, and kind of just like being very direct. But then it was like, then we do other videos where it would be completely subversive and different. And I just feel like we, ne again, we never talked about it, but it was important. I just felt like he, it's like I did lots of other music videos for lots of people, but like with his stuff, I just, it always felt very important to like try to find the best way to like make it different. And that, you know, that becomes hard over 33, 34 music videos. But like, I do feel like by and large, at each step of the way, we tried to do something different from the last one. Yeah. What's the first video that you felt like 
one hit and and like because that was your first time really like doing internet stuff what was the first one that you saw go wide it's a very quick progression because it was like i think the music videos that I had, or the films that I had put on YouTube prior to that, maybe got like 112 views. Congratulations. Yeah. 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 I have 112 friends and family. <laughs> yeah. Were you just like refreshing it? Like. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I do remember actually, like, before I started doing the music videos, someone, like, there was some internet troll, and I was convinced it was my cousin <laughs> just fucking with me. But it was like really good. It was like very vicious, very like, like truthful like critique <laughs> of the of the film and I was maybe, like, maybe it was your film theory teacher it yeah been, it might have been yeah just like damn um but when cruising came out it was like after a month we had 10,000 views and i was like whoa that's that's a lot and then it's like got a clue came out and i think that that was premiered on dj vlad's like site so then that got a lot of views but then it was live free I just remember we released it and it was like a week later it had a hundred thousand views and it was just like okay this is a thing and i don't really understand it yet <laughs> and then it's like as we moved into the stuff leading up to kids that's when things just got really sort of like exponentially crazier and crazier and real quick you're not ian wolfson you're rex arrow yes i mean I in guess that I, in that moment when oh, did that yeah. happen um it's a really i I still have not come up with a good story. Um, Rex Arrow was a nickname in college that I gave to a friend of mine who took a semester off. This was the friend that was in all of my films. Um, and I was like chatting with two girls at a bar and they were, they were asking me if I like knew, the, knew my friend because he was kind of like infamous at, at our school. And I was like, no, but like I have another good friend. His name's Rex Arrow, and like the origin <laughs> of that is that I was like in a film noir course at the time, That's so very watching noir, a lot of like yeah. detective films, and it I just it just kind of spilled out. And then when my friend came back the next year, somehow that nickname got applied to me. So senior year, <laughs> my nickname kind of became Rex Arrow, um, and yeah, I think it was just like I always kind of admired like Spike Jones, who like very clearly chose a name and then just ran with it and kind of not, he didn't hide behind it, but I, I, I don't know. There was like a period of time post-college where I was like really into this idea of like, assuming artists. a character. Yeah. Or yeah. like MF doom. Like, yeah. Yeah. like he was a rapper before, but now doom is like this own thing. And then there's like, but you didn't commit to it. Cause it was like Ian Rex, Wolfson that, okay. That was on <laughs> Facebook. And I do, remember that a, a girl that I was dating at the time, her mom asked me if I was part Native American. <laughs> so uh, um, it has been like, it has not always like, it has confused people. Yeah. Um, but I think, um, I think when, yeah, when we started doing the music videos, I just liked the idea of not, of having like a name. Yeah. I don't know. And then, when I met Malcolm and Q and Will, they just, they kind of encouraged it. They loved it. Like, they were just like, Rex, Rex era. Like, and now it's to the point where actually, like, I mean, on stuff that's not music video related, like on other shoots, like, it's just, I, my cinematographer right now is named Ian, so it's just actually easier to call me Rex. Yeah. But, like, it's very weird when I'm on set because I'll introduce myself to people and then, like, 
stumble through it because I'm like, well, my name is Ian, but I understand that <laughs> I also go by Rex. And right. Rex makes it easier. It's yeah. complicated, but yeah. I think do you do that whole preamble for everybody? <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I understand my name is Ian, and, but you can call me Rex even though I guess Rex is not my real name. Right. That's how like I was when I was in Spain, and I would speak in Spanish right. saying, sorry, I don't speak Spanish very well, and they would just be like, please, just, just tell us what you want. <laughs> right, right. Um, so you start getting six figures in terms of views. Yeah, definitely not in terms of money. Right, yeah. Um, and what does that mean to your guys' working relationship? Is that like, yo, let's keep shooting, let's like figure out more fun ways to work together? Yeah, I mean, I think that that's what is so crazy about that time, because it's basically, we shot... Um, Cruising in May, we shot Got a Clue in July, we shot Live Free in November, and then like it was like the winter break, and then we did another night in like March, and then I remember he came back from LA having just recorded Nikes on my feet. He also got his first tattoo. There was like a lot of a lot of changes yeah. in Malcolm's life, but I just remember like when he came back, he was like we should just keep doing stuff. I have this idea for a day in the life series. There were initially like five videos in it, but basically he was just like, let's just like hit the ground running. And it's like, think about it. We did Nike's on my feet, Kool-Aid and frozen pizza. Um, what's it called? Uh, and these were all shot back in Pittsburgh, all shot in Pittsburgh. So I was like commuting back. Um, well, okay. So around this time, I, when we first started doing the videos, I had a full-time job at a law firm and I was commuting to Pittsburgh on the weekends. Doing what at the law firm? Um, not a lot. I mean, I was, I was supposed to be doing a lot. I, I was it was like, a small law firm, right? Huge law firm. Was it? Yeah, it was Greenberg Traurig. So like... Oh, they're Jewish. <laughs> <laughs> Very big law firm. I mean, like the entertainment department, like Paul Schindler, who's another lawyer in the department, like... Lawyer for Kanye, Michael Jackson. Um, so not small. Not <laughs> yeah. small. Also, this was like actually really great. Also lawyer to Keith Sweat. Now, he had a receptionist <laughs> who would yell down the hall because like he was always like up to his ears in papers, like working, and she would just yell down the hall, Paul, Keith Sweat's on the phone. <laughs> it was like the highlight of every week. Um, but no, it was like a huge law firm. And like the stuff I did for my boss was like, it was like film development and acquisition. Mm -hmm. So like we would go to Sundance and pick up films and like help get them distribution. Oh, wow. Shit. wow. It was like, a, it was a very yeah. cool job. Yeah. Why'd you give it up? <laughs> uh, to shoot music videos with 16 year olds. Um, but yeah, I was commuting back and then I, I left the job in March of 2010 to do this full time. Um, and then, but then thankfully, like there was so much work between Malcolm and then I was also doing a lot of stuff with BD and then there was the come up who weren't the come up at that time, but there was just a lot of artists that were like, they would see videos and they'd be like, I, I would like to do a music video. Um, what did it mean for you in your hometown to see not only what Malcolm was doing, but what Wiz was doing as well? It was really cool. I mean, it was just like when I left Pittsburgh in 2002, it felt dead. It just felt like there was nothing there. And like there were stuff there. Like, uh, I don't remember when ID Labs opened, but like, I, you know, Edan was in there and he was like beginning to get that whole machine started, but it's, there was just nothing. And so it was like amazing to come back and see that like 
like the shadow lounge where like all these kids performed like when i graduated from high school it had just opened as like a byob sort of like impromptu music club and then i came back and it was like literally the launch vehicle for wiz for malcolm for all these people it was just like there was a real scene and it was like vibrant and then it was like i, I remember hearing about edan growing up because like um Strict Flow and Deadly Scribes, which were like the two big hip hop groups in Pittsburgh. These were like legendary. And if you knew people that were a part of it, like then you were cool. Yeah. And I just like, then I got to meet people like Edan and other people that like really sort of just like made Pittsburgh feel much bigger and like exci more exciting than it was when I was 18. Um, so it was very cool. Yeah. So um, obviously the videos get um, better and better as you have more experience. Yeah. Um, what's the first video that you were like, wow, I'm super proud of it in a, in a new way? Um, I feel like, cause it was like every video we did, we did something new. So like Kool-Aid and Frozen Pizza was the first time we really busted out the steady cam. I was gonna say, yeah. And like, I just love the flow of that video. It's like different than every other video. And we tried like on- Did you operate the steady cam? Yeah, yeah. I used to, solely be the operator it was just like slap on a wide angle lens and just hope that it was all in focus yeah um, but yeah i mean it was just like we we would try different things but i feel like uh frick park market was the first one where it was like we had more money so we could do a little bit more but it was also like an idea that like stretched beyond like malcolm hanging out with his friends it was like something bigger i mean we always had like big ideas for the videos but then execution wise it's like okay we can only really do this or that but like frick park market it was like no we're gonna have black light and we're gonna like have costumes and build a set and build a, you know, all this stuff and we have access to a real like deli market which like is just like a lot of production design we've never had before and i just remember like the day it was released it was like i still have the screen grab somewhere it was like trending on youtube with like otis and like a Beyonce video. Like those were the top three videos. And it was like, this is insane. Uh, and I just, I, we all really were like proud of that, proud of that video. Uh, Cause it just felt like a big leap forward. And uh, how about Donald Trump? Oh yeah, I mean Donald the video Trump. and song, yeah, yeah, not yeah, yeah. the <laughs> yeah, yeah. guy that your uncle did not want elected. Um, yeah, Donald Trump was huge because like- that Also me and Eric yeah. and you. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. It was a big one because uh, we had only shot on like smaller cameras and Trump was the first one that like we shot on like the original red camera. So this was like a tank of a camera that like you had to have a hard drive plugged into. Um, but it was cool. It was like I we that was the first time actually working with Pat. Mm -hmm. Shout out to Pat. Uh, shout out Pat. Um, but it was the kind of thing where like I remember around that time, like every mu music video pitch I wrote was like tr pulling stills from like my favorite Hype Williams music videos. Cause I just think that he created stuff in that, in his prime that looks like nothing else, even to this day. Yeah. And I just was always like, I want to try to do that. And we never did that because <laughs> we didn't have the budget. Um, but with that one, like we built basically a light rig that was like a starlight. So it's basically, we took, kino bulbs which are like the long like almost like fluorescent looking bulbs and we basically built a star-shaped ring and then we put a super wide angle lens on and it was like the closest thing at the time that i had gotten to like recreating that hype williams look um but also like 
when that came out, that song was just so massive. That and you shot it in the city? Yeah, we shot it in uh, Long Island City. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that that video, you know, just keeps going and going and going. Um, where were you when Donald Trump said something? Well, first he came out as he liked it, and then he came off and said that he did I'll not like it. I'll sue you. And yeah. Well, so it was like a combo thing. So first I heard my friend who's a journalist at the Wall Street Journal like sometimes like rub shoulders with Ivanka and I found out that she had seen the video and then showed it to her dad. And and by the way, just for context, like back then he's just, you know, the game show host. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. it's it's like you hate watch it because it's so dumb and there's no rules and it's just like all right, he's yeah. dumb. His hair's dumb. He has no idea what's going on. Yeah. And then, like, at the end, he's just, like, for a very minor offense, he'll be like, all right, you're fired. Right. Yeah. And I, and the kids are, like, non-offensive. It's just like, uh, whatever. You're rich kids. You're dumb. There's no... It's so different than where we are today. Oh, yeah. No, yeah. I, I feel like there was, like, maybe the Rosie O'Donnell yeah. incident. Right. At yeah. Most. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's just, like... It was just the type of weird thing where I remember when he posted that he loved it. And then I, and then Malcolm went on a radio interview and said some stuff about him. And then <laughs> there was like the threat of the lawsuit. And it, you know, it's just like, it, it sucks because I hate that that video ha is like, or that song is like one of his most popular songs and that video has the most views because like, it's a great song. It just has a bad title. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and I, I know Malcolm was like really like annoyed he, he would get annoyed in the later years when he'd have to go up and people would be like demanding that song. And it's like, that guy sucks. <laughs> um, um, we, we first met you in the hallways of MTV. Um, you were running around um, with the whole camp. Oh, yeah. Uh, doing like a little maybe press run or something like that. Um, and we said, what's up to you? And we we'd said, met Mac at that point. We had. Yeah. Uh, but. You know, for Ian, it was just like, oh, yeah, let's do some work together. Hang yeah. out. Like, you know, you're in the city. This is cool. Um, what were your duties in being around Mac and that whole crew at that time? Well, it's like I wasn't. It was sort of a weird time because like there at the beginning of 2011, I got brought on as like a full time travel photographer. And so we we did the entire first North American tour together. But like, there was never a talk of me being a full-time like videographer or photographer. It was just like when he was in New York, which was pretty constantly, we would link up and I would just have the camera. Um, so it, it fluctuated. It was like basically over the course of like three years or four years, I was on like a multitude of tours, but like, never is like the official full-time photographer or videographer. It would always be like, he'd be one week into tour and he'd be like, would you mind coming on the road? And I'd be like, sure, <laughs> why not? Um, I think Justin kind of became more of like the full-time guy. Um, and it was just like, which was great because it's like, I don't know, a tour is great, but it's very disruptive. Mm -hmm. And I think doing it for like three, four or five years is just like a lot. And Justin was much younger and much more... <laughs> ready to like jump into something like that um could you see even like being friends with everybody could you see the appeal of putting everyone in a house and having cameras around and making it into an mtv sh two show yeah i mean like we kind of stumbled into that because like when i first met q i mean q was super nice but like none of these people had like 
a persona yet. And I feel like on that first tour with the camera just rolling constantly, we kind of found each person's character. And then that kind of like crystallized with the European tour. Like, I feel like uh, Big Dave, we kind of like honed in on who he was. <laughs> and then Rudy, uh, who was like the European tour manager. Like, it just like, it ended up just like, we found that if you just held the camera on anyone long enough, eventually their true personality <laughs> would come out. And all of these guys are great guys that are funny and like sweet and caring. And it's like, it makes sense. I think like the only thing that like I'm annoyed about is that like I didn't pitch to MTV <laughs> to do a show. I mean, like the show ended up becoming a mixed blessing because it's like, it was a huge like step up for all of them exposure wise. But I think it also, you know, it's, it's a reality show. So yeah, it's right. not, it's not truly true to the reality. And I think by the second season, they were like really like grasping at straws to kind of come up with scenarios. Right. But that, uh, they sort of like leaned into that, right? They were like, it's a reality show, but like, I mean, we played a bit in it. It wasn't like, right. We weren't, we were, no one was pretending that it was like a real thing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 I think, but I think it was like, there was just a weird tension of like, like the ideas that the showrunners would come up with sometimes were like great. And sometimes were just like, what? Right. Yeah. Uh, so maybe it's like good that we didn't do a show because like, <laughs> it very easily dips into like exploitative as opposed to like, we're all doing something together. Right. Yeah. But no, I mean like they, it's one of the things I miss most about touring with those guys. It's just that like, they all were great personalities and fun to photograph, fun to, you know, film. And it's like, probably we'll never have an experience like that again, where you're just like in such an intense proximity for so long that inevitably just like, the nuances and the, like the ticks that make people who they are kind of come out. Yeah. How did everything sort of change for you when everybody started moving to LA? Um, I mean, it was like, it was great. I like, he tried living in Pittsburgh for a minute and it just like didn't make sense and didn't work. So the LA move was kind of interesting because we went out to LA to shoot miss calls, which was like our biggest video at that point. And it's, it's excellent that that what is a corvette oh uh, it's a yeah corvette yeah, I mean, it's beautiful yeah yeah and and the way that it was shot was beautiful and yeah. i think it that mark that's like for me that's like the sort of like shift in everything it was like oh this is like a film yeah no i mean that was really that was one i like i always will love and that was like actually a riff on a bmw commercial <laughs> there's a bmw commercial and i think James Spader is in it but essentially it's like a guy rushing to like make a wedding and he arrives and the wedding's mid-progress it's it's a little oh it's it's, it's the, the graduate, graduate. Yeah, yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but you know that old BMW commercial the graduate no no but the, the commercial is a little different it's a little more stylized um but basically we shot that video and then he got a rental apartment in the Hollywood Hills for like three weeks and we all stayed there. And that's where the like infamous uh, watch commercial print ad that I did. Yeah. Um, that I didn't realize was like just a print ad. I thought it was an interview <laughs> for G-Shock, but it was actually just a paid advertisement. <laughs> and I didn't get a G-Shock. So, um, but yeah, so he did that for three weeks. And then actually uh, a friend of mine who was a producer on Miss Calls, but also a realtor and a lawyer, uh, found the house in Studio City. So it was like a very seamless transition. But I think like overall, 
he went out to LA and then I made my way out to LA um, and it just felt exciting. Like I, you could just tell, I mean, there was like a lot of things that happened in LA that like weren't so great, but the exposure to other artists, I think was just so massive for Malcolm. And then having the home studio at the, uh, the studio city, city place. House, yeah. yeah was just like just having a, a place where he could work literally 24 hours a day and then also i think linking up with uh josh who produced uh watching movies like josh was just kind of like a jedi figure that like i think helped malcolm like step into a new realm of like creativity and thinking and understanding and like that time was just so unique and special and it's like I feel so thankful to be a part of it. I remember we went to the Studio City house um, and we you know, hung out in the studio and he was just like, that's the beanbag where Ian sleeps. And we were like, oh, yeah. all right. <laughs> but also like Earl Sweatshirt and like everybody slept on that beanbag. Yeah, it was basically just like... Schoolboy Q. Malcolm had decided, so he took basically what was the pool room. It had like a bathroom and a closet and he turned that into the studio space and he put up like tapestries and like sound sound dampening panels and stuff. But then he also took out all the light bulbs and only put in red light bulbs. Yeah. And then decided not to get any chairs or couches except for like the computer chair. So if you wanted to hang out in the, in the studio, you had to like just lay on a beanbag. But then also I was like bouncing between like my girlfriend's house and uh, the Studio City house. So it was like many nights I either slept in the studio or I figured out that there was this like side office <laughs> off of Malcolm's room and there were two beanbags there and I would put them together <laughs> to create more of like an actual bed. Although I learned that like two beanbags put together don't make a Well, no. no. Yeah. Also, there was no furniture in that house anyway. Yeah, yeah that's true. That's true. <laughs> Which like, was Eric's dream, I remember, because Eric was like, I just want to get a house that has no furniture. And I was like, like that's, that's when you've made it. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, it. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, a couple things about that house. I remember we were sending a t-shirt over to Mac mm -hmm. and it came back to us and we hit up Q and we were like, yo, like what, what's what the deal with this? And he was like, oh, well, the thing is that like, we don't have a mailbox, so you have to right. throw it over the fence. And we're yeah. like, oh yeah, okay. We'll tell the USPS to just, you know, toss it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. There wasn't, they, they never had a solution for it. So you'd like show up and there'd be like five boxes at the bottom <laughs> of the driveway. It was also like we got he got that house and then he got a car that was too big to like make it up the winding <sighs> driveway. So like two weeks in, there were like scratches <laughs> along both sides. Um, Did he ever buy the um, the theater in Pittsburgh? He didn't. And there was also a firehouse. Um, Whoa. On Penn Avenue that he was thinking about buying. There was a point where on some like Ghostbuster shit. Kind of yeah, and he's going to turn it into like an amazing like studio space wow. slash like. Like he wanted to buy an apartment in Pittsburgh and just have one there. Yeah, but the other thing that was crazy is, um, why am I blanking on the name? But yeah. after he moved out of that house, oh, uh, Ray Schremmer, oh, yeah, yeah, Ray Schremmer, yeah. yeah. And it's just like I just remember the neighbors. Well, okay, the neighbors already hated Malcolm yeah. and everyone else that lived there, but then we like took it up to like another level because basically as we're moving out, Malcolm hits me up and he's like, "We should really do a film about the house." Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, cool. He, I'm like, do you want me to just like walk around with the camera? We can just film each room. He's like, no, we should do a film. <laughs> so one thing leads to another. And we shot this like insane, massive, like 
experimental art film that had like sets and lights and we basically filmed until five in the morning the last night he was like illegally allowed to be in the house cops showed up like huge like it, it was just like a nightmare for the neighbors and then like he moves out <laughs> and they move in you have that footage i do yeah yeah what other footage do you have that like has not come out uh there there's one music video we shot that has not come out i don't know if it ever will it's like a long saga but essentially uh we shot a video for happy birthday um from faces and it was just a video it was like this type of thing where we wanted to do something completely different we wanted to do something that felt more like a film so it's essentially like the scorsese film taxi driver but with birthday party clowns right um, oh right yeah. it's like it's one of the my favorite things I've ever made. Having said that, uh, it was made at a time when he was in between labels. Uh, so he self-funded it. And there were some decisions that we made on set that like maybe we shouldn't have made. So like, it's definitely like, a, it would be a controversial video. If it's it came dark. Out. Yeah. Very dark. Yeah. yeah. And I think at the time when we made it, there was like a real effort to kind of like, not have the only prevailing storyline for Malcolm to be a dark one. Sure. Um, but it's very beautiful. And like Malcolm and I talked about it a few times in the last few years where it was like, for a while it was like, we just didn't talk about that video. I was like, okay, <laughs> not going to talk about the video. And then it kind of became like, well, I watched it again recently and actually I think it's really great. And I just, I think we just have to figure out a time to release it. And then it was like, okay, I finally showed it to Clancy and like I'm, I convinced him that it actually is a great video. I think it's just one of those things. Like maybe it'll come out just because of like the pure curiosity side of it. But it's also like there is stuff in it that's like pretty dark. Yeah. Um. So I don't know, but it's very beautiful. I I wish people could see it, but yeah. There are a couple of other ones that we were there for. Uh, one you did the you did like uh, accompanying videos for um like live shows. I remember you. I feel like that's the second time we. That's the first time we actually like really like beyond. talked. Yeah, yeah. that was yeah. in uh, Long Island City. Yeah, yeah same yeah. studio we shot Donald Trump in. And yeah. um, Mac played us um, some mixtape stuff that night, and it was so different from everything that we were used to um, in the time that we knew him, and it just showed us this like evolution of him that really continued far beyond i think what anyone ever expected right, right um and it was really exciting for us uh what was it like for you having known him you know from when he was easy mac all the way to that point to see him just further his own musical ambitions i mean it was just it was like the coolest thing in the world it was like i mean i always felt that he was talented and i always felt he had the potential to do whatever he put his mind to but like then to actually just see him start to do it and to do things that like I didn't even know he was capable of was just so amazing. I mean, like watching movies is just like, it's still probably my favorite album. And I think a lot of that has to do with like being in there for a lot of it, like being th like watching him go through that journey. But it's like to think of like the evolutionary steps of Blue Slide Park to Macadelic to watching movies. It's just like, it's, astronomical in terms of the growth and the expansion and 
I felt like kind of from there, it, it was like, okay, Malcolm is capable of doing a set of things. And now it's like Malcolm can literally do anything. Yeah. Um, so it's like, it's just, it was so cool to see. And it's like one of the last times I saw Malcolm, it's like, it was the full crystallization of that anything can happen, which is that he was in the process of doing the final touches on swimming and we were at the studio in LA Conway and John Bryan walks in and I knew that he had known John Bryan and done some like sessions with him, but essentially John Bryan walks in and he pulls out this like organ and the organ like requires like, I don't know if it was like, um, reel to reel tapes or if it's it required basically something you had to plug in in order to get each sound it was like a synthesizer but it required plugins but they were literally analog plugins that you plugged into the machine and he plugs this thing in and he starts noodling around and all of a sudden he's playing the theme from eternal sunshine <laughs> like and it's the exact sounds he used and it's just like okay that's cool but then he turns around and he's like all right malcolm plays him a song and it was hurt feelings um, which is one of my favorite songs from the album and like Malcolm's like, I just feel like it's missing some things. And John Bryan just starts pulling out these like tube amplifier powered synthesizers that like are, there's, they're like one of a kind. And he starts noodling around and all of a sudden he's like laying down these things that you would never even think of putting down. And Malcolm's like, that's exactly what it was missing. And it's like, just to, to see the kid who like was literally like, getting emailed beats just indiscriminately <laughs> from people on the internet to like, he's working with one of the great arrangers and composers working today. It's just like, you know, it was like, it was like, this is so amazing and I can only imagine what is going to come next. Um, so yeah, it's just like, it was always amazing and impressive and inspiring to watch him work and, and to see the growth. You are, however, you're st stepping over a very key, important Malcolm, it's the real moment. Um, I'm trying to think which one. I mean, are you talking about the one that was shot in, in, in Houston? In Houston? I mean, that's Avian. No, no, no. no which, no. which we can talk no, about. We'll get, yeah, we'll get to yeah. that. But no, the pants. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, you're right. That did. That was around Macadelic time. Very formative experience. No, uh, that was Blue Slide Park. I no, was it? It was Blue Slide Park. Okay, yeah. so yeah. He, he performed at um, Hammerstein Ballroom. <laughs> yep. And... <laughs> Good memory. Uh, we were texting with Ian uh, last week, and we were or earlier this week or whatever it was, and we were just like, "Yo, all we do is just like do crazy callbacks." And like here, Ian is yeah. just like one upping us. Yeah. Um, wow. So, so uh, uh, we were invited to go see Mac perform, and he had a, a chance the rapper open for him, and maybe oh, yeah. Action Bronson or somebody. I think school. Uh, not schoolboy. So th there were a lot of yeah. people there. Um, it was really exciting. We went backstage um, to say hi and hang out and everything. Yeah, there's like a whole like crowded room and everybody's sort of like hanging out. I and remember. Then I remember. By the way, we, Artie was just like, "Everyone's gonna be here for a while. Great, we're gonna order a lot of pizza." Oh yeah. He's yeah. like, "So <laughs> stick around." Yeah. And by the way, in the time that it took to order the pizza until they showed up, ninety percent of yeah, the yeah. people left. Yep. Yep. <laughs> and so we went upstairs. Because we were like, oh, we haven't talked to Ian really, I think. And yeah, we, we were, were just hanging out in like a stairwell. Yeah. And like people would like have to sneak by. And yeah, and so we're, so we're upstairs. And then Artie uh, Pitt and his wife at the time were there. And um, we're all talking. And somehow we ended up in this room where there was 
a pair of jeans. APC. APC jeans. Like really expensive, nice, never worn. Never worn. With a note on top. And they say that they were for Mac. <laughs> yep. But they were my size. And also... And Mac was gone. Long gone. Yeah. Yeah, Mac, yeah. Mac had left. Long gone. I mean, uh, to, to be fair, that was like every show that Malcolm did, it's like you go backstage and someone has brought like a goodie bag of like... Uh, yeah, just like anything. anything. Yeah. 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 Shoes, clothes. And like half the time he would like like quickly rifle through it and just be like, okay, I'll take this and then leave the rest. Yeah. yeah. So, so I'm like, they're my size. <laughs> so, I mean, they're for me. Yeah. And so um, we, we were like, so we finished up the conversation. Um, Artie was yelling at us about not following people on, on Twitter. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, we, we went back downstairs. We like go to get out of there. And someone from the right side of the theater it's just like, hey, you guys are still here. And you're like... I threw those pants as far <laughs> as they could go, just like behind anything. And then went in there and said, like, bye to Mac, because I guess he was still there. Yeah. So he doesn't know that I stole his pants. <laughs> At the time. At the time. And then we uh, we walked out. Well, like, you, I, I picked up my pants yeah, and, yeah, yeah, and walked out there. And you, wore those shits for forever. And, and later you would tell him yeah. that. And it became this thing where he was just like... You owe me jeans. You owe me jeans. Yeah. You owe me yeah. jeans. Yeah. yeah. But there's no way they, they could have fit him. <laughs> Listen, well, I, I noticed, he, was, he was half my height. Right. Jeff, he wore Jenkos. <laughs> no, I actually had the same conundrum, which is that when we shot Wear My Hat here in New York, he left a pair of, like, mustard-colored Levi's jeans. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I mean, obviously these, like, he doesn't want, he's, if yeah. he wanted them, he would have taken them. Of course, yeah. of course, um, yeah. But, like, they're not going to fit me. And then I, like, just take a moment and, like, look at the label. And they literally were my size. And I was, like, a good foot taller than him. Yeah. Yeah. We were, like, the brotherhood of the traveling pants. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, flashing forward a couple of years, uh, we were in Houston. We shot a music video with you and uh, Bun B. Yeah. And uh, called Girls of the Dirty Souths. A really fun shoot. Yeah. Um, on, by the way, a piece of property... Um, that uh, your girlfriend at the time knew somebody who owned the piece of property. We shot out there, and the the whole song is about uh, girls' pubic options. Yeah, yep. and um, celebrating them. Yes, we were yeah. we were the the three world's worst landscapers because we salute those women who let the bush grow. And so we went out there on this ranch, and we used all of their like Toro equipment and yeah. everything. And at the end of the night, there was a fire pit. Yep, yep. And the owner was like, "Well, you talk, went up to him and you were just us. like, oh, I was thanking him.' Yeah, but you you said to him, "Hey, like, is this the craziest thing that's ever happened?" I said, on "This your has property? to be like, like, oh, what a concept!" Yeah. And he goes, "Oh, you'd be shocked." And I'm like, uh, "I don't, I, I do, <laughs> do not want to know like what bodies are hidden in this crazy piece of property that goes on forever." He's like, "Oh, yeah. we've done some wild shit here," and I'm like, "All right, all right, yeah. let's call it." Great yeah. shoot. Yeah. Thanks for um, everything. And then the video, we premiered it on BuzzFeed. Did did uh, enormous. Like, yeah, like 100,000 in like a week. Yeah. And, and then, then Toro sent us our first C&D, our so only C&D. Shout to us. Yeah. yeah. Congratulations. They did, not, they did not like their logo right. uh, next to Women's This is our Kubrick. Donald Trump moment. Yeah. yeah. And we backed down real quick. And now it's at like, what, like 7,000 well, or something? this is the issue we have to talk about with YouTube, which is that, guys, let us replace the, the file. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't take all of our views away. Yeah. So, um, but that was a really fun shoot. And then that same weekend, yeah. you shot uh, the video for Avian 
which was not necessarily starring Mac, yeah. though it was his song. Now, a, a couple things about that shoot. Uh, you found every gorgeous uh, corner of Houston, which oh, was yeah. awesome. Yeah. Um, it was really neat how you edited it all together. Um, but instead of Mac, who was not in Houston, you had you had an older gentleman who did not know how to rap. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, yeah. So basically, we had already done the, like the major campaign for watching movies, and Malcolm and I initially we were supposed we were going to do a video for every song on the album, which would have been really cool. And like, there's like an original version of the Star Room that is much more cinematic that uses like. Uh, it uses music that was used in um, the Wes Anderson film. It's like there was yeah. a much more like sort of like overarching story involving this car crash. It was going to be this very epic thing. And then when that essentially faded away, we then I was like, okay, but I have this idea for Avian. And initially I was going to do it in New York, but then I ended up living in Houston for a year. And so I was like, I just want to get this video done. I think it'll be really cool. Malcolm's like, great, whatever you need, just ask Benji, like, just get it done. Uh, and I was like, the great part about it is that we actually don't need you. <laughs> and so he was like, okay, that's, that's perfect. Cause he was on tour at the time. And basically the idea was that we were going to have a guy who's like the leader of like a bird worshiping cult in, in place of Malcolm rapping the lyrics. And like, we had done a couple of like things playing around with other people rapping in lieu of Malcolm, like on missed calls his co-star raps the entire second verse or lip syncs the entire second verse. And like, I want to do more of that. Like I thought that was like a cool way to like change it up. And so initially we put a casting out and initially I remember we got a guy who was like, he was like Indian. He like technically like ran like a small religious organization and he recorded this like YouTube he recorded a clip for us wow and he learned the song and he was like really excited and it like would have been cool but then through my girlfriend at the times old roommate who was like a yoga instructor mm -hmm. I met we met this man named Wayne Donahue <laughs> who is like later became a Facebook friend by the way yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm still Facebook friends I've, I've a very yeah. active Facebook friend yeah. yeah Wayne is the man Wayne is just like this guy that has lived in Texas his entire life and like is like really in, like it was crazy like we were like okay so here's the, the video like you're a religious like spiritual leader he's like i that's great i have all of the clothes that i'll need <laughs> and if you need any additional so like, we go to his house and there were like tapestries up and buddhas all over the place and he's an active buddhist and it was just like okay this like i don't know how we stumbled into this um but then we got to the actual lip syncing part and it's like you know watching movies is like a pretty complicated lyrically like yeah lyrically yeah. constructed album like they are not easy lines and avian is definitely like a more sort of like tongue twisty song yeah so it was like basically we had this initial idea that he was going to learn everything and then just be able to nail it take <laughs> after take and then it became clear that the only way we could get it done is if on set we basically just had Noam, who was... Shout out to Noam. Shout out to Noam, my producer and good friend. Uh, basically, Noam would go line by line <laughs> and call it out and clap his hands to keep the beat. And we did this hundreds of times per line. But like to this day, I cannot get out of my head Wayne Donahue saying, 
the sneaky bitch stole my rolly last night, yo. <laughs> and like, you know, he had a very sort of like, like calm sort of like. Oh yeah. Voice. Yeah. He um, Buddhist. Yeah. yeah. Another thing I remember from that was that this um, collection of girls who were on set. Yeah. Were, I think for whatever reason, under Led the impression that Mac was going to be there. Oh yeah. Yeah. So they, sh- that was the thing is that, so we put out a casting call in Houston. We got great people to show up. And By the way, some of whom I'm still friends with on Instagram. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically they showed up to like, the apartment building I was living in. So not like an official like studio space. It was like literally the basement of my apartment building. Right. And I'm there and they're just like, okay, so like, what is this? And I was like, okay, so it's great. It's a music video. (laughs) You guys are going to be in the new Mac Miller music video. Um, But I should let you know right up front (laughs) that Mac is actually not going to be in the video at all. In fact, he won't be on set at all today. So if you are not okay with that, like, just let me know now. I totally understand. And everyone, there was like two people that left. The rest of the people stayed. But during lunch, we FaceTimed with Malcolm. And he was just like, hey, everyone. And they were like, hi, Malcolm. And then they were, he was like, how are they treating you? And everyone was just like, terribly. Uh, but I think what was cool is that a lot of those girls who were definitely skeptical when they saw the finished video yeah. and actually saw how central they were to the presentation of it, they hit me up later and they were like, thank you so much. This was like such a oh, cool that's very opportunity. Nice. So it's a great video. I, yeah. I, 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 all because of Gnome. Yeah. All because yeah. of Gnome. <laughs> no, it was really cool. And actually, like um, when Billboard did that like retrospect uh like last year at mm-hmm. some point, I think it was in the summer of all the videos like yeah. starting in 2010 or 11. Um, Malcolm sent me a text. He was just like, Hey man, you know what video you really crushed? The Avian. one I wasn't in. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Avian. He yeah. was just like, I love that video. It's a great so video. Um, what was your, what would you say like your, your, your best working relationship time was? Um, either, I would say either, like the uh, kids, or I guess it's more like best day ever into Blue Slide Park, like that run. Cause we, you know, we basically did like Donald Trump, wear my hat, get up, um, and then best day ever. And then went right into Frick Park Market. Oh yeah. Smile back, party on Fifth Ave. It's just like, it was, so that era was like, we just were like firing on all cylinders. And actually that winter we went in and that's when we did the extra content for uh, the Macadelic tour. Yeah. Um, so that was really good. And then, yeah, the watching movies run was really good. I just felt like, I mean, we had a lot of ideas that didn't come to fruition, but like we did like. Well, like what, what's an idea that didn't come to fruition? Well, like doing the whole album as like a film. Got it. Would have been really cool. There was also an idea to like film, like watching movies initially, like the like the listening party was going to be like a movie presentation. So it was going to be like in a movie theater. They did do that. Right. Well, we like a pared down version. Yeah. yeah, Got it. It was going to be, there was going to be like the film and then that whole thing was going to be filmed and then released as like, like a film within a film. Yeah. (laughs) A meta commentary. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Mac was going to have a mustache. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So there were like a lot of things with that where it was like, there were music videos we never did that just like would have been cool. I think faces is another thing that like, we had a lot of ideas, but also like it was a weird time because it was in, we were in between labels, so the support wasn't there. So like Happy Birthday, which 
we ended up shooting, like Malcolm funded that entirely himself. And it was like just a weird time because like the quality that we had gotten to on the music videos necessitated budgets that like, it just didn't make sense for Malcolm to self fund. Yeah. So I know there's a lot of fans that are like, what happened to Faces? And it's like, well, <laughs> it's like that limbo between Rostrum and Warner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Essentially. Um, that was exciting when he when he joined Warner. You know, it, it felt like, um, you know, the label at the time was going to give him complete freedom. It was yeah. going to allow him, like, obviously luxuries that he hadn't had before. Um, and it was cool because he was the boss. Yeah. You know, he was finally, like, fully in charge of his own career. Yeah. Um, you know... When I look back, there's a lot of um, hope, regardless of where he lived. It was like, you're coming to New York. I hope this is the, you know, the sort of like new wave for you. It allows you peace. It allows you a new experience. And like, there was excitement around it. I, he yeah. came here and he was like, oh, I like riding the subway. We're like, really? Like, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, and he's like, I just like to walk around, you know, uh, Dumbo. Yeah. Um, then when... You know, he moved back to, to L.A. There was excitement with that. It was like, cool. You know, he's, he's in a better place. Yep. Um, it's like, I hope that you find peace, you know, there. I, yeah. I hope that your relationships there, you're not going to have everyone living with you. You're not living in such a, you know, Studio City type environment. You're over, you know, West. Yeah. Um, and, I, you know, look. He went through his stuff. Um, he's a human being, um, but but it's it's one thing for the world to look at him as like the superstar Mac Miller. Yeah. Um, but he's a human being, and you were there to see. And we would sit down whenever we got together. We would sit down and we would talk through things, and you would check in and say, "Oh." You know, this is how everyone in the camp is doing. Yeah, yeah. Um, but like, when you look back at it now, it's it's a lot for anybody. Um, what was your experience emotionally through the years? It's it's a lot. Well, it's like it's weird because like our relationship changed so many different times throughout like the ten years that we knew each other. Um, so it's like. You know, in the beginning, he was, a, I mean, he was literally a kid. So, I, uh, you know, I kind of felt like this, like this weird sort of oddball relationship um, that had a creative sort of like core to it. And that was what drove everything. And then, you know, we traveled both America and the world together. So then, then your relationship takes on different complexions. And then it's like part of what I was very excited about in like the last like year or two is that like we weren't working together as much but when we talked it was actually more about like how are you i mean malcolm was always very good about checking in to see how you were doing asking about your life um but it was like i could see our relationship kind of like blossoming into something that was perhaps not professional but purely a friendship um not that it never wasn't a friendship but like purely a friendship which i think actually would have been a welcome relief and change for both of us it's like i think the work was amazing and like we did amazing things together but it also you know you work with anyone it creates burdens it creates like complications and like i just really looked forward to like 
having Malcolm as a friend throughout my life. And so it's just, it's interesting. Like I, I, I say this a lot to people, but it's like for someone that is nine years younger than me, like it, it was amazing how much I feel like I was able to learn from him. And also I think how much he was able to learn from me. I mean, I, I'm not the only person that influenced him, but I was one of many. And that was what was so great about him is that he was open to all different types of people from all different age groups and walks of life. And I do think he absorbed some things from me that were really cool. I mean, there were the number of times he would hit me up randomly, like really like frenetically, like, yo, yo, I need to talk to you. I'd be like, what's going on? He's like, I just watched this movie and you told me about that like two years ago, but I just want to let you know, I finally watched it. And I was like, oh, cool, what did you think? He's like, loved it, it was so good. Truth about cats and dogs. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it's just like, it's, it's like weird because now time begins to warp everything. So you place importance on things or you strip importance away from things because like perspective is just funny that way. But yeah, it's just like, it's a person that like, if you told me when I was 18 or 20 that, uh, uh, that this person would have such an impact on my life, I don't think that I could, I would believe it. It seems like unfathomable, but like now I can't imagine like my life without him. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, it's strange. So, um, we, um, we found out, uh, on a on a subway actually where there was you know in, in new york there's no um cell service down there yeah. and you're in between stops and it's just like is this is this real is it not do you trust what you're seeing all that and um you were the first phone call that we made um you were out of the country yeah uh we made a bunch of phone calls and they didn't connect obviously and then we tried to hit you on text and um and I, did, I don't know if there's any right or wrong way to handle any of this stuff, but uh, we couldn't get in touch with you and, and knew that you were away uh, at a wedding yeah. overseas in England. Um, how did you find out and... Um, how did you process it? Because that's, that's the other thing, too. You're, you're there to celebrate. Yeah. And then you have this crushing yeah um well it was like yeah so it was like sort of a weird couple of days because basically i was in england for a wedding but before that i was in portugal so like i tacked on a trip beforehand and actually the last night we were in portugal i was texting with malcolm so it was like literally that night and he hit me up because he was like about to step into he was shooting a music video the next day and it was the type of thing where he was just really stressed out about it i think it just wasn't it wasn't really coming together the way he he wanted it to now like i'm sure it would have been fine but like i think in the moment he was really stressed about it and i was just like well do you want to talk about it like maybe maybe it's like more together than you think maybe it just feels loose because like it's the night before and everyone gets kind of stress and he was like yeah i do actually let me hit you up tomorrow and um i think we figured out that that was at like 2 a.m or 1 a.m like the morning that he passed away so 
that was the last time I talked to him. Then we jumped, you know, then it was just like, okay, I'll talk to him when I get to England. Um, and again, that was like another example where it's like that, I, that made me, it made me feel good that he felt like he could hit me up and talk about something that like, you know, in prior years, maybe that would have been kind of weird to like hit me up to talk about a music video he was doing with something, someone else. But I was like, dude, I just want to help you figure this out. I'm sure it's fine. You got this, like you're, you can carry this video. If, even if it's like not put together well, you can carry the video. You're going to be good. Um, but yeah, so we got to England and got to the wedding, which is like in the middle of nowhere. And it was like very bizarre because I, my friend's phone wasn't working. So she was like, I had helped her put together a playlist and she was like, can we just run the playlist off your phone? I said, no problem. So I go to plug my phone into the speaker and then I just like go and enjoy the night. And at some point my friend comes to me and she's like, okay, I don't need your phone anymore. So like, if you want to take it, like you don't have to leave it plugged in. And I went to go pick it up. And it was like, like thinking about it now, it's like very bizarre, but it's like, basically it was like 200 text messages offering condolences, but I, it was impossible for me to decipher. No one was saying who it was for. And then what was weird is that it was like, each person in, in sequence was like from a different part of my life. So it wasn't like a uniform, like if it had been all family, then I would have known that it was like a family member or like a high school friend or, but it was like literally every person from every portion of my life over its entirety. And I just like started scrolling and scrolling and scrolling. And I initially thought it was my, like my mom or my dad or something. I was just oh my like, God. cause like, but then I was like, but then the brain was like misfiring. Cause it was like, but why would everyone know about that? And then I basically scrolled past like a, either a New York times or a Twitter, like news alert. And yeah, I just like, I mean, it's like, you kind of just, it's like a shock moment where you're just like, I don't, I can't process this. So like I went upstairs and uh, my fiance was like, basically just like, consoling me and I I, it, I basically had to like just cry it out for about two to three hours and then go to sleep I just like couldn't yeah I couldn't really like do much more than that um, and then I woke up the next morning and then it was like okay but I'm actually at a wedding so what do I do with that and also I had been asked to give a speech at the wedding oh my god um, so my friend obviously like texts me and she's like do not worry like I totally understand, like, I don't want, like, you do what you have to do, like, I hope you're okay. And so this, the wedding venue was like in the middle of nowhere, England, and the closest village was actually like a three mile walk. And I was like, my fiance was like, what do you want to do? And I was just like, I just need to like, I need to walk. So we basically just walked on this country road for like three miles and like, didn't really talk because I didn't really have much to say. Um, but I do remember that like along the walk, we like stopped at this pasture and there was a horse. It was like a lone horse. And I have a video of it somewhere, but basically it like was standing by itself. And then like we made a couple noises to like get it to walk towards us. And it like walked towards us. And I, I, I'm not like an overly spiritual person, but like in that moment, I was just like, I, it's like I needed to see that to like feel that like the universe was like partially okay. It was like this moment of like serenity in nature and grace in nature that like just like 
temporarily let me forget about what was going on. Um, I ended up giving the speech because it was like one of those moments where it was like, this really hurts right now, but like my friend will be my friend forever. And I don't want to look back thinking that I let her down. Um, and actually in a, like a weird way, the wedding was like a distraction. Oh, a hundred percent. Um, like once I was able to like just dip into that, yeah. then it was like, okay, I can just be at this wedding tonight and then tomorrow, like deal with the emotional yeah. weight of that. And then it's like, then the next morning, then it was like literally like the, the concern shifted from like how I was feeling to need to get in touch with Karen, Mark and Miller. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Need to get in touch with Q, Jimmy, clock, tree J. I mean, basically everyone within the core and I don't have cell service. So I like basically send out a barrage of texts to everyone. I hear back from mostly everyone. And then, it, then I was able to talk to um, Miller, that Sunday night and then Karen on Monday. And it's, you know, it's just like, there's no, there's nothing you can say that will make it better either for yourself or for anyone else. But I think in the weeks after that, it was like, it was both like really hard, but also like, it's just that age old thing of like, just being around people that you call family even if they're like not your biological family like it that helped but i mean it's just like i think all i kept running through my head was just like i i how are miller and karen and mark going to be okay i think that was like the primary thing and i you know it still runs through my head and thankfully like i talk to them often and you know it's like we're all family and so that's just kind of what it is but what was it like returning to Pittsburgh? Uh, it was, you know, it's just like, I well, it was like, there was like, there were two trips to Pittsburgh. So it was like the funeral and the memorial and like, they both had different textures to them. But it's just like, I don't, yeah, I mean, how, this is a this is a person that was a kid when I was 24 and then like we helped bury him. I like don't it's like I there's not I don't know. It's like funerals are funerals. So it's like I don't I don't really know what to say except that like I hope the only thing I hope is just that like we were all comfort to each other in the way that we kind of needed to be in that moment. And I hope that we continue to be that. It's just like, yeah, I don't, I, I think if you had asked me if I would, I don't know, it's just, it's like hard to think about. But it, I think the other thing that's like so strange about it is that like, when it all happened, like there were other points in Malcolm's life where I, f- I think there was a collective feeling of an inevitability of this like fate, but this was not that moment. Um, I mean, you know, he like, obviously everyone has their demons, but it's like, there were plenty of other moments where I think like all of us were like better prepared for it. And this was not that moment. And I think that that was like part of the shock of it is just that like, there was the tour there was, you know, the album had just come out. It was getting well received. Like there was so much going on that it just, yeah, it just didn't feel like the right time. Although when does it ever? Yeah. Yeah. Over the last year, 
Um, you've traveled a lot. You have filmed a lot. Um, you've lost at least one drone. Um, and <laughs> so many more at this point. Um, you're you're putting your creativity out there on a regular basis, and I know you know from time to time you write as well. Um, do you still have feature film aspirations, or is that uh, put out there in a different way? Do you want to do short form stuff? Do you want to do yeah? Like where do your where do your aspirations lie right now? Well, it's like right now, semi-retired from the music video game, but just semi. So yeah. well, until we until come we back. come calling, yeah, 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 yeah exactly, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, no, I mean it's like it's weird. Actually, I did have a thought when as I was beginning to process everything, which was like I actually it feels weird to think about doing another music video, even though I did music videos with dozens of other artists. It's like it kind of feels like this now this like sacred thing that belong to Malcolm and I and I like it's like I don't know if I have anything more to say in that arena but then it's like then I got a text from Malcolm's childhood friend Dylan Reynolds and like Dylan wants to do a music video and it's like okay well now that sort of gets the you know the juices firing or it's like you guys are my friends if you hit me up with an idea it's like actually some of my favorite memories in recent years are from the stuff that we've done so it's like I think that like it's not that I will never do one again. It's like almost like, okay, it's actually good that I'm pausing on that, and the next time I do one, I'll make it count, and it'll be exciting and fun. Um, so like right now, like I'm doing this like travel commercial work, and it's like amazing and exhausting. Like I'm literally traveling every two weeks out of this year to different places, and I got to go to Asia this year, and it's just been amazing. And I like I. It looks like it's going to continue next year and get the diamond medallion. Oh, I know, I know, I know. My crew is really tired of hearing about it. This um, this last shoot that you just did um, was in New Orleans. We did or Chicago Nashville, and Nashville. Or yeah, Nashville. Uh, that looked like the biggest one that I've seen thus far. Yeah, well, it's like funny because like we do these big ones and like we have a lot of like fun toys that we get to work with because it's like for a big hotel company and um, still have the rubber adapter. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah I, leaving your mark in every yeah. single one. Yeah. You're like uh, the Zodiac killer. Exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, but it's like it's funny. Like we go to these markets and we hire these local crew, and they're like, literally, they got the things you guys are filming. I've never done because it's like we go to each market and it's like, what's the cool? Like what's instantly Nashville? Like we're gonna do New York actually in September, and it's like. What's instantly New York and like our apartment, the old apartment. Yeah, (laughs) Uh, but yeah, it's like half the things that are on our list right now. Like most people who live in New York never do. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, it's fun. Um, But what's really cool about the work, besides like the experience and the exposure, like it's like our campaigns uh, getting released next week, and it's like literally going to start playing in every in-room like tv awesome. across their entire portfolio wow and like there's talk of like expanding it to broadcast and all sorts of stuff but like the freedom that that work then allows me to then do other stuff that i'm really excited about and care about is like really exciting so it's like music videos were amazing and i still love them and it's like one of my favorite art forms but like not starving is also really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, tell me about that. <laughs> um, well, it's like yeah, it's just like nice to not only be thinking about where you're, like how you're gonna like pay rent. Yeah, and 
so now it's actually for the first time I'm starting to think about like what the next stuff is. I think 22 year old me was like feature film director and now 35 year old me is like feature film director but also short form content creator and also commercial director and like experimental like noodler and like music video director something like it doesn't have to be defined by one thing and i think the moment i sort of like let go of that burden of expectation of being the feature film director it's like now i actually feel more courage to actually go and make a feature film yeah so it's still a goal um can you a, shoot one now in three weeks i think i probably could yeah <laughs> um probably will not hire a talent from a karaoke bar but mm-hmm. that you haven't met <laughs> yeah that yeah. I haven't met. yeah um but yeah i think it's like i'm really excited for what's next and um in the meantime like traveling and doing what i love for a living is like really cool um yeah so like it's not a bad not a bad situation right now, but I definitely am like, there's some ideas that are inspired by Malcolm. There's some ideas inspired by this, like the traveling that I've done that like, traveling pants traveling, yeah. Yep, yeah. <laughs> that I just feel like it's like, I don't want to not, you know, it's like, you, like you said, like you kind of tell the stories that, you know, it's like, this is a pretty unique story and I don't want to tell necessarily like the Mac Miller story, but I think the essence of Mac's story is so beautiful that like there's a lot of like there's a lot lot to play with there ian you've traveled far and wide and uh and and over a long period of time you have shot a number of just legendary things and i think that you may be still that that little boy from pittsburgh but you made it a long way and uh Everyone should feel proud of you, especially you should feel proud of you. We're especially proud of you, and uh, congratulations on everything. We're super happy that you came uptown and that uh, you'll go up street, you know? <laughs> no doubt. Thanks, everyone, for listening to this new episode of A Waste Time with It's The Real. Jeff, if you want to find out more about us, I'm Eric with the curly hair. You're Jeff with the glasses. Together, we are It's The Real. No apostrophe, no spaces. If people want to find out more about this podcast, it's called A Waste of Time with It's The Real. Jeff, if people want to find out more about us and our newsletter and our merch and what's going on on an everyday basis, where can they go? You can always go to itsthereal.com, I-T-S-T-H-E-R-E-A-L.com. By the way, sign up for our newsletter because I don't think we mentioned this, but our clothing is coming out next week. Yes. You can always find all of our old episodes and all of our new ones on all streaming platforms, including wherever you're listening to this episode. I'm talking about iTunes. I'm talking about Spotify, CastBox. Go find it. Go play it. Go enjoy it. All of that. You can also find us on all social media platforms at It's The Real on Twitter, at It's The Real on Instagram, at It's The Real on Facebook. Jeff, this is the part of the podcast where we love to shout people out. And we asked the internet today if they would go sign up for our newsletter at itsthereal.com right now. And you said a baker's dozen have signed up right now mm-hmm. and you want to read their names. Jeff, who are we shouting out? I mean, I don't want to read their names. I'm just saying that we made an agreement that if you sign up, we will read your name. No, so you are reluctantly saying their names. I'm showing support to those who support us. Okay, got it. Connor Molenbeck from Cedar Rapids, Iowa. I also want to shout out Trinidad James from New York, formerly of Atlanta. Wow. Yeah. Really him. Really him. That's cool. Was not expecting Trinidad James to sign up. He did. Shout out to him. Shout out to Connor Daly. Shout out to Justin Walters. Andy Bustard all the way in England. Yeah. Shout out to Will Cunningham, the Jerry Rollins, Andrew Merja, D. Brown, Andrew Lennox, Jay Shiley. 
Jonathan Bynum and Greg Pastor from New York, New York, NYC. There we go. I'd also like to shout out real quick all the photographers that we have worked with over the course of our career. It is World Photography Day. We appreciate you guys. We love you guys. And we just like how you photograph us. Jeff, or anybody. As, as always, it's not all about us. Not for real, for real. Sure, sure. We'll see you guys next week. Correct. Right.